Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. If I tend to do this, we're going to get a lot of stuff done. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to be awesome. Featuring your hosts. Hi, this is Bill Barsh. I am the managing director of Paysetter Games and Simulations. Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a longtime cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5e editor for Frog God Games. Somebody here call a carpenter? I'm John Hook, game designer and podcaster. Now to both. This is Lou Al Lou. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player, 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. We're back, Dungeoneers, with another episode of This Old Dungeon. And tonight, along with your regular hosts, we have Jason Hobbs of Hobbs and Friends. Jason, how are you doing tonight? Well, now that I'm connected to the internet again, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. It's, it's lovely to live in the uh, modern era, is it not? Uh, um, good when it works. So uh, we always get started by just kind of jamming about what we've been doing in gaming. Um, uh, who wants to start tonight? I think I'll you start should start tonight, Lou. Sure. All right. Go ahead, Bill. I've done zip. <laughs> Literally, absolutely Less than zip over the past month. I, I can tell you that right now. Uh, the only thing I've done in gaming is we, we're, we're launching a new Kickstarter, which I'll, I'll pimp it later a little bit. We're launching a new Kickstarter, so I finished writing that one up. Hey, you guys have had a couple big announcements uh, the last few weeks, haven't you? I mean, I know the... the uh, well, Endless, Endless Encounters ships, yeah. and we just released that retail, so that was a big one. And then, yeah, yeah Tomo Quest is coming out. So yeah. we can. I'll, I'll drop more about that later. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I just got back from Gen Con on Thursday. I just did a one-day thing, uh, kind of like last year. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I really, you know, last year I was all sour about it. Old, old man Grognard complaining about, you know, all those young whippersnappers and their their costumes and their, you know. Uh, <laughs> this year, a different take. Uh, you know, I went down there primarily because Goodman Games was having all their third-party publishers uh, bring down some stock for their booth. And it's like, well, you know, for what they're paying me, It'll pay to get in and I'll just hang out. Um, and I really had a good time. It, it, there was a lot more on the schedule this year. And a lot of that's probably COVID, uh, you know, as far as last year being hardly anything. Um, still not like I remember it, man. I remember going in 2008, 2009, and you could play anything you wanted to any time of day, you know, no matter how old or new it was. Um, this time around, eh, you know, there are three or four unique offerings outside of D&D and Pathfinder. Um, which is a step in the right direction for me. Um, I had a lot of fun. wasn't quite as crowded as, as what it had been prior to COVID, um, but was definitely up from last year. Uh, played some some great games. Uh, played some really terrible games too. Had my, my second really? worst, yeah, second worst game I've ever played into my life. 
Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail. I, you know, I doubt anyone that played in it or ran it is listening to this. Um, but just, uh, you know, it was, it was like the, the perfect storm uh, of horribleness. Like game master was terrible. The rules, which were a published rule set about to be released uh, from a, a, you know, well-funded company were terrible and, <laughs> and the players. Uh, and I think part of it was just a reflection of those other two things. They were terrible. They're like, ah, I'm just not into this. So, oh, I sucked for four or five hours of suck. Anyhow, that's that painful. was that's my gaming. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. We we know uh, Edwin's been up to stuff. So let, let's ask Jason. All right, <laughs> Jason, Jason what have you been up to? to? He's been actually he and I have gamed together a little bit. Ah. <laughs> yes, Edwin and I have been gaming together. Well, it's just been kind of going on for the last year or so on and off maybe longer edwin i don't longer, even know definitely longer more often on, love but longer. Games, yeah. yeah so i was playing a game on tuesday nights it was a castle it was castles and crusades in their aired setting it started with ose ran by uh zach pierce i don't know if you guys know who zach pierce is but uh it was pretty fun but it fell apart you know how games online seem to do but uh we are playing um what's the valley of the manacore with uh elliot Moshell, Edwin, and I are players in that game. My character is way better than his, but <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and I'm occasionally running some duet low fantasy gaming in uh, the Midlands setting by um, uh, Pickpocket Press. Uh, That's you, about it, though. You get to unpack a lot of that for me, man. Duet. What? What's... One player, one GM. Oh, okay. All right. That's what. That's what all the cool kids are calling it now. I guess. Yeah. I, I, well, there you go. Cool kids, right? <laughs> yeah. we, in my day, we used to call that one-on-one gaming. <laughs> oh, that sounds a little <laughs> adversarial. Oh no, I wasn't going to say oh, that. Oh. Sexual in a window. Right? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes you have a foursome. Sometimes a five. No, yeah. You never know. When, <laughs> when's the quorum happen? <laughs> Edwin, uh, I, I'm comfortable now. You can tell us about your gaming. All right. Yep. Sit back. Let's see here. We have uh, some Delta Green, um, which has been just starting up, which I'm really enjoying. We took a uh, a short one shot and we're stretching it um, due to our uh, our active investigation style. Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to end up 12 or 16 hours of uh, of play, but that's been super fun. It was going to be just a little. Uh, preview to uh impossible landscapes but i think uh, they're gonna end up going in parallel because we're not going to finish the preview before we start uh i think it, yeah tomorrow i start the impossible landscapes as all, all different characters then or uh no just uh some overlap and some years later so yeah if we end up dying in the preview then then our realities will get a little shattered we'll see how that, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how the, the gm deals with that um i've got my two osc games the one with uh hobbs there and then the uh um uh stone stone hell and that's been uh still still going along as we pick away down on level three and four and barely escape with our lives now, now do you uh, know how deep that dungeon goes already or uh i don't remember that exactly but eight nine ten levels it's it's a lot of levels wow um and each one of them is ridiculously huge i don't and i don't think we've seen all of 
maybe collectively, you know, with all the different parties that have been going in, we've seen all of level one and most of level two. Uh, but I'm I'm pretty sure that there are some areas of level one that I haven't made it to, even with ignoring secret doors, just like places uh, that we open. just haven't had time to get to. Wow. Um, but I think what I want to talk about is pimping our... Um, so in two weeks, we've got Necronomicon coming up in Providence, Rhode Island, which is uh, normally in every other year horror gaming convention that is I'm very excited about. And we have a an extra life, a fundraising game uh, that we run. We've been running it for the past few Necronomicons. And basically what we end up doing is having, we got a four hour block. We have three parallel tables and we run 30 minute scenes. So you show up, you sit down, you play for maybe 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, whatever you play for as little or as long as you want. Uh, but each GM, each keeper, runs a 30 minute scene and then they rotate out. Um, and then the players, when their character dies or go insane, they rotate out. So we just have this constant flux of people coming and going and then keepers coming and going. And then we have Mike Mason from Chaosium. He's gonna run the finale. So at the end we, um, you know, have some, some made up uh, ways of choosing who gets to play on the final table. Uh, but the the, most of the chaos and fun comes because the players and the audience and even the keepers, I guess, can donate money to make things happen either at their own table or at some other table. So when somebody's getting restless because they haven't played in 10 or 15 minutes, they'll drop a $20 bill on the table. And suddenly a few of the characters are dead because some monster showed <laughs> up or, you know, whatever. And the it's just a super fun. It's what's mostly fun uh, to run it because there's so much improv happening because you just never know, you know, what what people are going to pay to have happen. And so that always sort of keeps your brain uh, moving at high speed. So I'm excited about that. But anyway, if any of you are going to be in Providence, Rhode Island in two weeks, Friday afternoon at the Poindexter Cafe, come on down and and play. We've got a whole lot of good keepers, and I will also be uh, probably doing my my share at the table. Um, so I'm excited for that. But I think I think that's the enough summary of my gaming. Are you still awake? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> All right. Hey, the um, that drop in drop out with the uh, the uh, keepers. Yeah. Is there like a, a skeletal structure of a, of the story plot or whatever that's going on or is it just kind of unfold as it unfolds so i so the last time we did it we had a skeleton which was that you started at the top floor of the biltmore hotel which is the old hotel in downtown providence where this convention happens and I don't know if you have you ever read the scenario Legs. It's a Call of Cthulhu scenario. I don't think I have. Um, it takes place at a horror convention and basically <laughs> shit goes wrong. Uh, so that was the inspiration for it, that you're at the, at the Biltmore Hotel. You're on the gaming, um, the gaming floor. And as you move down, you sort of go through various portals or whatever. But the last scene was done in the lobby of the Biltmore and where you find what the cultists are up to and either you can stop it or escape or probably die. Um, this year we decided not to do any real connective tissue, except uh, there is, there is a connective tissue that I won't spoil. Um, 
but it's not so much uh, story-wise, but what we are doing this time is putting everything in the, pretty much in the 80s, 80s and 90s. Uh, so we're going to do some, <laughs> some uh, not quite modern day, 40 years ago, um, Call of Cthulhu, <laughs> which I'm excited about because it's a lot of fun stuff because um it's a little easier to improv you know yeah yeah yeah. you got that familiarity of the setting that you don't when it's you know the you know 1920s or whatever yeah for sure and and i think we'll have so some years we've had different uh scenarios happening at the different parallel tables i think this year we'll have the same scene i'm calling them scenes this time because i'm realizing we don't normally actually have a like an arc planned out because there's just too much improv but you know if you're at the bowling alley it'll be the same bowling alley at all three tables obviously where it goes from there i think you know it's going to change up nice how are you going to keep that co- like cohesive beyond the tables are you setting the area up beforehand with the people or how would you know it's going to be the same bowling alley yeah so we have written up a uh, little mini or little mini starters and cool. so each keeper will say, "Here, here's your starter. Here's the, the location and the sort of the triggering events. And, and then like two sentences about what's going on in the background. Oh, so this seems way more, you know, polished than I thought from what you said originally. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely polished enough to, uh, to be fun, but yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, when, when you first were describing it, it reminded me of uh, Tower of Gygax. I don't know if you guys have ever done that charity event in, in any of the cons no but it's it's way more improv than um so tower <laughs> of gygax is this i don't know what it is nowadays but back when i had played it a couple times it's a big three ring binder of just like dungeon room after dungeon room after dungeon room that all these people contributed and it's a charity event you you pay and, and originally i think it was set to fund the uh the statue there in in uh, lake oh, geneva yeah. But now it's going to like, I don't know, it goes to extra life or, or something along those lines. But you go and it's, it's a lot like you first described where like as a player, you sit down and <clears throat> when you die, you go sit in a chair back there. And then when another person dies, if it's open, you can go up and, and keep rotating out for your hour. Um, but it's it's way bonkers off the wall. You know, that one room and the next room make no sense together, but it doesn't matter. That kind right. of thing. Yep. So. cool yeah no i can see I, when i do the 24-hour stuff it tends to get a little bit like that because you can't i can't really keep my head together over a story that long <laughs> and most of the players can't really deal with decisions or dialogue you know after about 12 hours so it's just got to be fights <laughs> <laughs> this is the only thing that keeps people awake and focused <laughs> Uh, that sounds pretty good. So Jason, uh, you know, coming on our show, I think I told you we we're going to ask you some questions about things. Uh, we always right. got to start. <laughs> I should have always... reread that email. Oh my goodness. <laughs> hey, you signed on the dotted line. Um, we always start with that question that I think is one of the most interesting things whenever you meet a new gamer. How'd you get into the hobby, man? What are some of your first memories of role-playing? Well, I'm old. So my memories are, are pretty out there. Uh, I mean, and I don't know how long of a story you want, I guess. How long should this show be? But 
<laughs> we, we have no time. The show goes forever. All right, good. No the show goes forever. So, time is our bitch. <laughs> so uh, I had uh, two half brothers that couldn't ever come to the house that I lived at. So whenever we got together, we were always at my grandma's house. And right next door is where uh, my cousin lived, my cousin Hawk who Edwin's met before has been on my show before he does art for my zines and stuff. And uh, he's like, I don't know, eight, six or eight years older than I am. Yeah. Probably maybe more than that. I don't know. But like in 1978, I can remember playing the Holmes edition playing in search of the unknown in their basement. So, and there were like 30 grandkids. So at different, I mean, not all of us were there at once, and some of them were much older, obviously. I'm one of the youngest, but there could easily be eight to 10 of us down in the basement uh, playing some form of D&D. Back then, it wasn't a single, you know, you didn't play a single edition because like Holmes came out and then, you know, Moldvay came out and then the monster AD&D monster manual came out. So you would use all those things together. Mm-hmm. It, you didn't Whatever books you had, you used. Yeah, yeah. You, just, you just threw it together and... Uh, those, I mean, that's how I really started playing is with my older cousins, basically. Um, like I say, the first thing I remember is playing uh, in search of the unknown and whining about my statistics for a cleric. I rolled <laughs> up and then my cousin saying, knock it off, baby. I'll play this guy if you can't handle it. And so after that, that's what I always say to everyone Ooh. when they complain about 3d6 in order. jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, maybe that wasn't long enough. Should I make up some more? No, no, no that's great. No. <laughs> From then till now, steady role playing, or are you like a lot of us that you know had a, a dip in life where you kind of left the hobby and came back? Um, I would say there there might have been some times when I didn't play as often or have like a regular group or anything like that. But with any time, like in a given year, I kept on playing. I'd say during the bloat of second edition, like I played second edition with the core books and then I met some guys and we started playing hero system. So I played a lot of champions and fantasy hero, um, for quite a while. I don't even know how long I thought I was smile. (laughs) I thought I was a happy man here in that. (laughs) Yeah, man. I thought I was going to come back to D and D with third edition, but I bought the books, read it and I did not like it. And so, uh, stayed playing fantasy hero. Um, for quite a while until like the online G plus phenomenon occurred. And then I started playing uh, a lot more BX basically at that point. And then I never played any fourth edition until, and then I bought some fifth edition where it came out, played that for a little while, but now mostly I'm play, I play like OSE LFG or, you know, a lot of the different mm-hmm. types of games for sure. Now, when, when you'd gotten uh, into the G plus uh, BX stuff at that point had the, concept of osr already been established or were were you kind of in it already and then later on people like oh yeah the osr and no uh that's probably what drew me in really and i don't even remember it necessarily being called the osr at the time i mean osric was out and like matt and uh, raggy and those guys at all started doing what they had done my i can tell you that my role 20 started in 2012 and before that, it was a tabletop forge is what the virtual gate tabletop was at the time. Some kid named Josh had created it and kickstarted it, but then it folded and he got hired by table by roll 20. So 
I was playing online games before then. So <laughs> well, that, that's pretty wild. Yeah. There's some old videos out there. You can, I trying to play uh dungeon world, I think with the guy who wrote tabletop forge. <laughs> I, I remember, man, I'm, I want to say it was called like uh RPG tonight or something like that. There was, there's one system I tried out back 2005 or so, but it had, it was none of the bells and whistles. I mean, it was almost literally just uh, audio and then you could type some things in and share a PDF file or whatever back and forth. But, uh, huh. That's pretty wild. Early. I was playing a lot of, um, before that happened, before G plus happened, I was playing a lot of play by posts on a, uh, it was based. It was basically a hero system, uh, hand typed by the guy who wrote Hero Designer. His name's Dan Simon. It was mm-hmm. uh, I, it, Hero something is what, Hero Central is what it was, and it had chat capability, uh, typing, and then you could actually embed sounds and stuff. And it was all written to play a hero system through play by post. And uh, I, I did that for years, and like that's why people, hey, let's do a play by post. I'm like. Uh, never again am I doing something <laughs> that takes that long to do anything. So, <laughs> yeah, in the days of the old dial-up networks, uh, there were a couple bulletin boards that I would get on that were play-by-post, and I don't think we ever finished any adventure. Like, like maybe I did this three, four times, and, and for sure, you know, three, four weeks into it, just dead. You know, nobody responding, nobody, you know. I, I got I got three words for all you youngsters. Play by mail. <laughs> oh shit. I always wanted to do that, man. Uh that guy Carl Rodriguez, who was with me, yes. he, the geomologist presents that I met Carl on Hero Central. Oh, that's cool. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't know what year that was. It had to have been like 08 or something like that. But sure. we actually ran through all sorts of long period because there were maybe a hundred 200 active people in there all sorts of different games but you know you'd get up with your group and yeah and it, a lot of us were had office jobs so you know none of us were really working we were just posting a <laughs> hundred times a day on this, game, <laughs> this website forum so <laughs> that's really cool a lot of a lot of fun stuff came out of that like i played a pdq I used the PDQ. If you ever heard of that system before, no. Uh, it's it was kind of like after Fudge, before Fate. Oh, okay, okay. Um, pretty cool system, but I mean, I also had some with uh, um, Keith Curtis. I don't know if you, he did a lot of uh, cartography for the fifth edition of Hero of Hero Games, basically of uh, not champions specifically, but a, a lot of hero stuff. He was on there and he did some stuff. Dan Simon wrote stuff. A lot of the guys, um, Steve Long occasionally would be around on there who actually wrote fifth edition. He's most known yeah. for that, but there was a lot of hero system guys that hung around there and it was pretty fun. It was a fun time, but like you say, I mean, it could take months for you to finish. I did a fight once in one day, but I don't even know. I posted 500 times as the GM, so. <laughs> <laughs> and it was hero system. So uh, you knew it was kind of yeah. complex, but <laughs> I still love the fact that you played fantasy girl a lot. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, over the 10 year period. Oh yeah. Really good. It's, it's 
takes a long time to make anything. Once you have sure. everything set up, you know, the toolbox, you know, dialed yeah. in where you want it. It's wonderful. Yeah. I've never looked at the two side by side. How close is fantasy hero and Merp? Oh, nothing compared. Uh, to that. Okay. All right. I didn't know um, if they used, you know, since it's iron crown originally, anyhow. Yeah. But fantasy hero is an iron crown fantasy. No, it was hero, still hero games. Hero games. Yeah. But, but hero games is based off of, champions and heroes right i mean it's the same champions is not ice which is merp right middle earth role playing is d100 okay are you thinking of gurp no 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 what what, i think what lou's thinking is at one point iron crown didn't they buy out hero games or yeah yeah the the whole time i owned it it was all iron Crown enterprises but yeah but um so up to fourth edition i think yeah fantasy hero is basically what third edition champions roughly? Okay. Yeah, I would Second, say, yeah, somewhere in there originally, and uh, so it's all it's it's a hero system, or you know, I know it gets kind of a broad brush, but it's um it, it's if you can play if you can play champions, you can play fantasy hero. Mm-hmm. Was that fusion? Was that the fusion era or something? Yeah, like that? yeah, that's I think that happened. The, the Merp era when Iron Crown. Not Merp, I'm yeah. sorry, when Iron Crown got it. Yeah. 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 That was before I was actually playing. So I was mostly playing the big blue book would have been a fourth edition. And then mm-hmm. when they, when they wrote fifth edition is, is the, uh, is the period of time. And then sixth edition came out and I stopped playing it. Well, fifth edition is like, what is what everyone considers, right? The, the pinnacle of, of champions, I think for most people, really? it, not, I, I like, I'm a first, second edition guy. I, okay. so yeah, I, I, I hear a lot of people on the fourth edition, the, the, the thick book that fell apart yeah. on everybody. Uh, that's the one I always hear people talk about. Yeah. The one that I, I personally I just, had. Champion supplement one, one and two and or three champions, one, two, three, right? Mm-hmm. Back yeah. in the day, I'm going to be able to fog on this, but I think I have a justice ink around here. Oh, yes. Yeah. See, we should have done this on champions, man. We're talking about this. Oh, this man, we, awesome. I, I, I'm all in on champions. We'll, we, we'll have you back and we'll do champions. I, I, I still believe, like, if you're running a, a superhero game that's like a low-level Batman sort of thing, um, the, the Dark Champion supplement, Injustice, oh, Not Law, those are fantastic for any system. I can see Edwin sitting there with his eyes glazing all over <laughs> Well, hey, yeah. to bring it back to fantasy, right? I know, I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm just a champion. Yeah, I know. And I'm just strike force. Guy. Right. I mean, you see strike force by Aaron Alston is also the guy who did a uh, rule cyclopedia. Yeah. 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 Aaron Alston was, I actually knew Aaron back oh, way back in the day. Super Cool. I didn't know. And him. He was one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. I mean, he just super approachable, just, uh, just a great, great guy. I mean, that was his, his passing was really tough. He was young, hmm. but, uh, Yeah. One of his greatest things I thought was blue booking and really explaining how to do blue booking because people mm-hmm. don't even really know what that is anymore. Yeah. They just wish they did. <laughs> like, have you ever heard of that, Lou? Blue booking? Uh, no, I'm, I'm shaking my head like I know something, but I don't. I'm like, <laughs> mental note. You so, know, like, Google blue when, booking. I mean, so I, you I have know, a, like college tests blue booking. No, but no. So, like, when no. you have a D&D game and you have the when you're actually sitting down to play, that's when you're talking about everything. But when you talk about, hey, this is stuff that happens behind the scenes. So we're going to use our Discord channel to talk about this. That's what blue booking was back uh, in the day. Everyone yeah. would write like what they were doing outside of game time. And then they would cover, they could cover all that stuff. And so when they played the actual sessions, yeah. they you didn't have to worry it. about all the background stuff. They might just do the combats or the RPG, the role-playing interactions with different, you know, NPCs or whatever. So, it, and there's a, he has a whole system of how to do it in, 
strike force basically is where huh. i think he talked about aaron was an amazing rpg mind i mean just mm-hmm. really fantastic nice but yeah now that i now that i you know took us off the rails <laughs> i don't know if it was your I, I was my, i was the one I, was like hey are these the same yeah um, yeah, yeah I, I, right here Blame me, blame me again after I give you your, your four impossible uh, geek credit questions, too. Oh, <laughs> Great. Yeah, uh, so, I hope they're about paintball. Edwin starts, talk, I, you know, I, I, Edwin starts I, talking I, about Shakespeare again. I'm out. It's more of a, a host. You'd be amazed how well I tied paintball. They were, I got I to give it to you. Uh-huh. Those are the best research questions I've ever heard. We're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that little bead of sweat coming down Jason's forehead. <laughs> I'm used to failing tests. I'm good. <laughs> the door, you got me here. I, I throw the softballs. <laughs> all right, good. I like it. Uh, all right. So we know eventually you, you wind up uh, doing some publication. We, you wind up doing a lot of podcasting and, and, and being a big part of the community. How does all that stuff uh, come into focus here? What, what happens first? Tell us a little bit about that. Um. I would say everything starts and maybe ends with G plus as far as I go, but um, that's where, I mean, you could just start talking with almost anyone at G plus and they would interact with you and you could learn a ton of stuff from people throughout that. Uh, I've, I found some people to play games with. And then I think one of them would be like Adam Miscavige. And uh, so Adam convinced me to go to Gary Con, which is my first convention in maybe 15 years. And I don't know, that was Gary Con three or something, I think. And that's when you start to, that was the early years of DCC. So that would have been like 2014, maybe. I don't know. So then you meet up with all those guys. And then you just start, when you start gaming and going to conventions and talking to people out ga- about gaming, then you just get involved in the community and you do whatever it is you do. Uh, in podcasting, I think I really was a fan of gaming and BS. I mean, I was good friends with Sean. I didn't know Brett at the time, but uh, I had met Sean early on through uh, Job, actually, at uh, Gary Con, and uh, hung out with him a lot. And he was like, oh, you should listen to our podcast. And I'm like, I can barely stand you in person. I don't want to take time <laughs> and, <laughs> and listen to you. But uh, I had a job where I was driving a lot. So I could just sit there and listen to those guys. And I was like, these guys are pretty bad. I could do way better than this. So no, they're good guys. They're great. Uh, But there's things that I wanted to talk about that I like, I know more about OSR and old school play and that, that I really wanted to talk about and have people learn who people were in the industry. Like, I mean, like you're doing or whatever. So I wanted to do interviews. So I got in touch with the misdirected Mark network and uh, said that I wanted to be uh, in their network doing, you know, interviewing people in the, in the OSR. And so then, uh, 2018, I said, I would never go to Gen Con unless I was nominated for an any, and I was, so then I had to go, uh, I didn't win. Cause I think Edwin's stupid podcast won, but <laughs> I mean, no, it's a good, there's a lot of people that listen to that. So it must be good. That's right. Uh, but oh, that won was, an any, you know, that's how good it is. That's right. Won a gold, right? Yeah. The year <laughs> after Spellburn won a silver. So, uh, but I mean, I'm good friends with all those guys. It's a, you hear about bad apples or whatever, but in my experience, I, I've never hung out with any of them at a con. I've never really had any issues with anybody. It's always been great. Um, 
until like, you know, that era when, when people started having issues and maybe interview the wrong guy at the wrong time and problems happen. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, after that, uh, then I was like, instead of talking about gaming, I want to do more gaming. And so I started streaming games and trying to build a community around, uh, the anchor app from podcasting. And I mean, there's a lot of people who've started doing anchor podcasts about gaming. Anyone can do it because it's super easy. You just pick up your phone and start talking and you put it out there. And now there's a podcast anyone can listen to. The whole idea was to, um, create a, a community of people talking about what everyone's talking about. Cause it's hard for you to get feedback unless someone sends you an email. Well, then this other guy who listens to your show doesn't know about the email unless you write into it. But if we're all talking about the same shows in a way where we can call in and inter- inter- interact with each other, it's like really building a strong community around, you know, whatever hobby it is that you like to do. Um, and that was my whole idea is I always wanted to make, I didn't care if you were, because back in the day, I mean, you had the forge at that point, you had the OSR group, you had the new stuff. And a lot of these people weren't necessarily interacting in a very good way with each other. I'm not saying it's better now, but it, to me, it feels a little better. Like if you can explain what your point of view is to people, then maybe we can all come together in a good place together. Right. Instead of being opposite, as long as we can talk, then, then we can get somewhere in my opinion. So Amen. Yeah. yeah, that's why I started the RPG anchorite group from that. And then like I said, now mostly I try to stream games, but now I have started my own flooring business, so I don't have time to do as much of it as I did. Uh, but it was great to get back cons and seeing you guys at North Texas for sure. There you go. That's my story. <laughs> nice. Um, on the streaming of the games, uh, you know, this is this is something that just fascinates me. You know, I love gaming. Uh, you know, I'll game with anyone, anytime. No big deal. I have a hard time listening to, to games, you know, streaming pod, you know, live cat or, uh, podcasting, actual plays, actual plays. Yes. So, uh, you know, uh, what's your take on that? And, uh, I mean, cause there's obviously an audience out there for it. Um, you know, is is there a certain mindset of people that are into that or is it a, a wide spectrum of people or. Well, from my experience, I, don't really watch streamed games myself. I mean, I may watch my games, then I can go back and remember what we did last session or five <laughs> sessions ago and then bring it back. But personally, I don't do a lot of actual plays myself. I've listened to one, which was uh, Brett's from gaming and BS's Avalon game, which was really, oh, yeah. it was more like a radio show than it was an actual play mm-hmm. really. And I thought that was really well edited and that was pretty fun. Um, but I felt like my strength was running games and I wanted to play games. And if it, I always say, if it helps one person, it's usually worth it. And it always helps me. So <laughs> <laughs> it's always worth it then. But um, I, I can even remember first playing with uh, Jared Rasher, who now does interview or does reviews for Gnome Stew. Mm-hmm. I played with him and Kevin Madison in a uh, shadows of the demon Lord game. And I kept asking I'm like, why are we record who who's going to want to watch us play this shadows of the demon Lord game? You know? And I just thought it was ridiculous. And now Kevin Madison has 5,000 subscribers on his actual play that he runs three or four wow. games a week. Um, most of the time, I think people first do it because they don't know they buy the OSC books. You can read the rules, but, 
you don't necessarily know how to do it and you don't want to run your first game and not be as good as you can be. So, Hey, we can go on, you know, YouTube right now and say actual play for OSE. And then whoever shows up, you watch it for a little while and see how a GM runs his game. I mean, you have the ability to learn from other people so much easier now from like actual plays than you ever could before. I mean, how long did it take to really get the skills to be a decent GM? And I'm not saying I'm a great GM or anything, but you can almost, I, I think he just said that <laughs> I did say I was a great ago. GM. I think, I think he did say that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't, Edwin's been in my games before. He knows I have the <laughs> habit of contradicting myself in Canon. <laughs> That's actually one of his strengths as a GM. He just does it. It's awesome. Uh, and then we have I to figure like out the, uh, the rationale <laughs> behind it. <laughs> Some conspiracy theory. <laughs> So I guess what it comes down to is I don't really watch a lot of actual plays. I'm not, uh, I'm not a great voice actor. I'll try and do some voices. They all sound pretty much the same, but it's the same. <laughs> it's the same thing I would do at my table anyway. I, I don't, I mean, I have Edwin playing. It's not like I got voice actors or beautiful people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You'll get a kick out of this before we went with the video. Like I, I, you know, I had never met Edwin in person and just from his voice, I, I pictured him as this like, you know, one of these like 20 something, you know, college kids with like curly hair down to their shoulders and, you know, mm. mop in front of their eyes. <laughs> when, when, I was a when I was a 20 something college kid, I did have crazy curly hair. <laughs> so you weren't that far off. <laughs> seeing your past. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I hope that answers the question. Oh, I mean, no, no. Like you say, there's. Uh, there's billions of people in the world. So there's, there's almost an audience for anything. <laughs> and it's fun. Cause like, uh, personally, I don't, I don't usually like have the players affect the game or the spectators affect the game. Cause we're doing it live on Twitch and YouTube. So the, the chat will get going sometimes and have fun and say, Oh, they're having their own blast while we're having uh -huh. a blast playing. So. Do they ever ask you like, I'm sorry, go ahead, Eden. I was gonna say, I feel like one of the things that it helps with is building commitment from the players. You know, if, if you sort of know that it's not just the group getting together to game, but well, we're gonna stream it. I mean, it, it still doesn't always work, but, mm -hmm. but it's a little <laughs> bit more pressure to, to get the uh -huh. players committed and showing up and stuff. And that I think that's that's a positive thing. Yeah, I agree with you. And sometimes it's funny because. Uh, like one time, I don't know, I was searching for something and I, I found some blog that did a review on the, my actual plays. And so there's some people out there that watch Edwin playing in the North March and they're like, he's some famous person and they feel <laughs> uncomfortable when they're going to play a game with them because like, oh, these are like, this guy was this or this guy was that. And then just like anything you find out, they're just regular dudes, you know playing yep. you know elves or whatever i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that statement works out regular dudes playing elves yeah yeah <laughs> no it's well i mean i really play an elf edwin always does but <laughs> i'm uh, over dwarf kind of guy <laughs> so, yeah. I've, I've seen it happen multiple times where because i have this other game this calmada game that i just run i run hundreds of sessions with all different people because uh, it's an open table West March's game. So we can just run it whenever with whoever wants to play. You make a character. I've ran it at conventions. I've ran it online. I ran it at my home group and it's all continuous and anything happens is happens in the next session or whatever. And people, I mean, I don't know what there are 75 
recorded sessions out there or something. So the people are like, Oh, I'm playing with the early guys who played. I didn't know, you know, <laughs> what it would be like. And they get nervous. And some people are, you know, scared to stream because they don't know how they're going to act. I usually forget it's on really. Yep. Do you ever get uh, in the chat? Do you ever get questions to like clarify what you did or why you did it or anything like that? Uh, yeah. Uh, most often I think we see things, most of the people in the chat don't want to interrupt the game really, because uh -huh. that's what they're there for is to hang out and have a good time. See everyone get TPK'd. I think that's what it seems <laughs> like. That's what most people are there for. That's what I go for when I go to one. But um, sometimes like, and some people do it differently. Like I'm usually streaming uh, a second uh, iteration of roll 20. So I use roll 20. So I don't show my maps to the Twitch. So the players can also be, in the Twitch stream or on YouTube and they won't see anything that they can't already see, but like or Kevin Madison, he shows his own screen. So then you can see how maybe he interacts with the virtual tabletop in that situation, say if you're using foundry or, so that's also like a way to help people learn to do different things. You know um, I've had people ask me later maybe, but I don't, I don't remember. And sometimes I'll talk about it. Cause I don't know if I'm stalling or what, but I'll say, Hey, I'm looking up this because I really wanted you to know how to do it. If you're watching this video, because of this, this is what I do. You know, these are my carousing tables or, Hey, this is what low fantasy gaming does for weather or how it does journeying through a, uh, you know, overland travel basically during the game. And so I'll like kind of explain that at, as I'm looking it up in the book or something to give some filler. So I, I think that happens during the game, but I don't remember offhand anyone. I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, how did you do that? Or why did you do it that way? But normally those are comments, comments in the YouTube, or maybe someone will ask in the discord. I've always thought it would be cool to have like run it, run the stream and just run the game like normal and then do another one that talks about like the GM choices that you made and how you made those choices and like what rules you use or where you got them. If you're playing an OSR game, I always thought that might be a fascinating mm -hmm. thing and then maybe overlay them together somehow. I don't know. I think that yeah, would be a I cool mean, thing. Get the meta. Uh, RP yeah. yeah. RPG Academy did a really nice series doing that some years ago where they went back to a, an actual play that they had recorded and went through it and spliced in the GM being interviewed about that. And it was really, it was really cool to, to listen to that and sort of hear, and occasionally I think they also asked about the players. So, you know, what were you guys thinking when you did this and what did you think the GM was thinking and what did the GM, what did you think the players were thinking and sort of a little, little post-mortem on it. And it was, it was interesting to, uh, to see, yeah, how, what, what things were improv versus what had been decided ahead of time. And like, so those are some of the questions that I often have when I am, when I listen to, uh, I don't watch any actual plays, but I listen to a lot of them and, uh, and I'm often curious about that. You know, it's, if it's an adventure uh, that I know well, then I can tell when they're drifting off the written page. Mm -hmm. But if it's something I don't know, then I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so you'd mentioned low fantasy. Uh, I, I think, I, you know, while we have you on here, we definitely need to talk low fantasy and we definitely need to talk West Marches. Um, so everybody's got their own idea of what low fantasy means let's kind of do a round Robin here uh, and we'll start with you, Jason. What, what do you define as low fantasy? 
Well, when I'm mentioning low fantasy, I'm talking about the very specific game called low fantasy gaming (laughs) by Steve Grodzicki and pickpocket press. So it's a terrible name. Everyone agrees on that great game, but terrible name. Uh, In my opinion, low fantasy is normally going to be how uh, ubiquitous magic is in the setting. Um, and lower end magic, like you mentioned, Batman being a lower end superhero. I think of low fantasy gaming as more, if it's not the actual game called low fantasy gaming or the <laughs> genre, the subgenre, low fantasy, it's going to be more usually historical, quasi historical, uh, with like magic stuff happening on the sides. It, maybe less, maybe human centric, usually gritty magic, um, dangerous. Very- yeah. I was gonna say it's very Murpish. If we want to get back into roll back <laughs> into Murp, I mean Murp is not a. I think a lot of people consider it like high fantasy, right? But I, mm-hmm. it's, it's really not. It's it's as far as magic is concerned, it really isn't. Yeah, there you go. That's mine. Why don't you go, Bill? Uh, me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I pretty much just said it. <laughs> Middle Earth <laughs> role playing. Uh, that's going to about sum it up for me. I, I no, I think uh, so. I'm not familiar with the actual game, both fantasy, but it, it intrigues me. Um, I, I would say the same thing. I mean, to me, low fantasy is is more of a human centric fantasy campaign. So uh, even like humanoids or demi humans would be much more rare or non existent. Uh, magic is is something that's more on the periphery. Like, like player characters, for example, probably wouldn't. Um, it wouldn't be magic is just running around, for example. To me, that's to me that's low fantasy. Um, I, I can't think of a lot of good examples of it necessarily. Like I said, like I didn't play a, a lot of Merp ever, but it, that came off to me as more that way, right? I mean, mm-hmm. your characters really aren't using magic that much in in that game, from my understanding recollection of it anyway so that's the biggest name i think i can think of as far as low fantasy so I, that's what i equated to versus high fantasy which would be obviously like a dandy 5e right so everything is magic edwin any thoughts yeah i was just thinking about uh well first of all i learned um the specific game low fantasy gaming at the table of one of the world renowned experts uh, but only only relatively recently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you too. Anyway. Um, what, no, what, what I was thinking about, based on the things you two were saying, uh, uh, sort of putting it in my Call of Cthulhu reference, which mm-hmm. is historical, and the player characters are unlikely to have access to magic, and it's gritty, and it's dangerous, and I would never in a million years call that low fantasy. So I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, because everything you said to me, I also think of as sort of keys to low fantasy. So uh, to, to, yeah, to low fantasy. But there's this whole like it's sort of interesting to think about. I was like, well, OK, so you're maybe you play an urban environment and you get a little well, bit it, of magic going it, on. Like what is. Yeah, it's hard to hard to put your finger on it. You guys might have more pedigree in this than I. But um, as I understand, like the, the, the idea of fantasy being you know typified with like knights and dragons and all that is relatively new like like in literature like everything we think of as science fiction and all this sort of thing all was fantasy you know back before like the 40s yeah Uh, 
So, True. and then they had yeah. the genre of science uh-huh. fiction within fantasy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But I was kind of putting it within role-playing games. Yeah. No, no. I just, it, just now, in, yeah. in reflection of him talking about, well, but then it also, you know, applies to call of Cthulhu, but you know, in a way, yeah, I guess, you know, it all used to be kind of one thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One point, yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. I don't know if it's somehow maybe actually something you said about the Knights is, uh, as opposed to this playing the serfs like i sort of <laughs> you know I, I sort of wonder if it's not so much about the worlds being different as the protagonists being different that in a low fantasy game you're the lowly people like there might be like like in middle earth you know there's a lot of big magic going on but the people that we're following are a couple of halfway losers right i mean <laughs> they are not <laughs> they are not you know the big the big wigs and and that may be actually maybe a little more the the separator is is who you're putting the spotlight on, and the era of Middle Earth you're talking about the Third Age like earlier times in that setting there was magic all over the place hmm. right oh that's true okay and the, yeah. still the yeah, land is full of magic you still have like Tom Bombadil and you have the Ents and you have Bjorn and you have all those other guys that have magic and stuff but. And it, it the, the whole the land is sort of magical, but you don't really have people like throwing fireballs around, exactly, or you right. don't have a spell jammer happening or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And usually yeah. you're not having a player character having the capability for sure. In a low fantasy gaming, I think you still have knights and stuff. Usually you're not playing them; they're going to be foils of some sort. That's but what I'm I think, thinking, yeah. yeah, they're still there. Like if you did a you could still do like a even like uh Arthurian legend, you know, it has some magic, but it's very, un, it's rare. It's Merlin. Mm-hmm. It's Morgan right. Le Fay. It's the lady in the lake. Uh, but like the squires or something, <laughs> you know, they, right. they're, they're going they to they're go insane <laughs> and run away. Like it's a Cthulhu monster. I don't know, you know, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the game, low fantasy gaming, when I mentioned it, it's really kind of just like a, in the borderline between fifth edition and OSR. It takes a lot of stuff from both. It uses advantage. It has things like mighty deeds from DCC, but you're also, instead of growing and having a lot of hit point bloat, your characters grow wider instead of higher. I think so it's like skills do. and abilities versus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It still has like some magic and stuff, but it's uh in the settings usually the the setting that it comes with the implied setting of the game. It's like if you cast magic, then you could be killed in most of the societies, right? It's like looked down upon or dangerous, and it is dangerous because it still has kind of a dark and dangerous magic uh, uh, mechanic, similar to Dungeon Crawl Classics, where there's a lot of magic around, but if you do it. In Dungeon Crawl Classics, there's more magic than there is in low fantasy gaming. But if you do it, there can still be repercussions, Uh which I think is like a sword and sorcery uh, trope, right? Conan, usually there weren't too many mages that he hung out with, except the one guy that grunts a lot in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) But it's always like it was a anything could happen. You never quite knew if if the magic was going to work. And most people who didn't work it for, they were bad guys. They were corrupted by it. Mm -hmm. I think that's another really good point about like low fantasy in general. Again, I'm not, I'm not talking about the game in particular, but just low fantasy in general is, is just the um, there's not incremental power creep. I, I would say in in that kind of game, right? I mean, characters. I think you made a really a great example of that the 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 player characters are going to kind of grow broader in scope, but not necessarily more powerful, especially incrementally, like you see in like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of game. 
Uh, I think that's another way of, you know, or a, an interesting way to play a fantasy game where your characters just kind of get more experienced, not necessarily more powerful per se. Yeah, they, they might grow narratively more than. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in exactly. renown, yeah. they're going to grow in renown and they're not going to get yeah. a ton of magic items because historically in D&D, that's what made characters more powerful, really. Sure. Yeah, you got more spells, but you also had this vast array of magical items <laughs> that allowed yeah. you to hit more powerful creatures, really. So Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, it, and I don't know, I mean, high, high fantasy is great. I don't play a lot of it. I'm not, that's not really my, my bag. But, um, you know, for low fantasy, is there a, a like check please moment where like if, if a game has something in it, you're like, no, nah, uh, not, <laughs> not low fantasy anymore. Not not my, you know, not what I'm going to play. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to leave a game because of that uh-huh. personally. Well, just um, I mean, not, not necessarily getting up and walking away from a table, but but as far as like you read the rule book and you see something, in it, you're like, eh, not for me. Oh, well. Yeah, that's like all of them. I actually, I don't even <laughs> like reading rule books, to be honest. I'm, I'm notoriously known for that, that I don't look at them until I need to. But uh, um, like, like for me, for example, if yeah, you if go. you can walk into a magic shop, you know, in town, or if you, if there's a shop that sells magic items in town, yeah, check, please. I, you know, yeah, not, you don't like that. Me. Yeah, that's not my bag either. I don't like that that much. Um, and I don't like, a, I like my settings rarely have elves as playable characters because I always felt like the reason people usually played elves is because they were trying to min-max their character way back in the day. You know, everyone <laughs> Plus wanted to be Plus it's a long sword but, and a bow. Yes. And magic yeah. on top of that. And I can see in the dark. So, <laughs> yeah. So I've always, I've grown like a disinclination towards that. But then I do play elves sometimes in games because I want to try and show how different they're. Uh, culture would be or the way they would act in role-playing that's so i'm a, i'm gonna teach you guys how to play elves, <laughs> you know but i don't know if it works or not but that's one of the things that i do do but yeah i hear you that usually magic shops are a thing but other than that i don't know edwin you got something i don't have anything against high fantasy so no <laughs> i mean i'll i uh i can i can absolutely enjoy playing uh superhero i know that you guys all like superheroes uh, and I'm more than happy to play superheroes. I just call them, you know, elves or magic users or whatever. <laughs> I only play Dr. Freight and Dr. Strange in my hero games. <laughs> um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of, um, of shopping in RPGs, but I don't dislike shopping for magic items more than I dislike shopping for anything else in particular. 10 foot poles and iron spikes. Exactly. I mean, it all, it all feels a little, like, yeah, it's not the part of the game I enjoy because it's a, it's sort of the, it is the tactics min maxi part of it that I, you know, I just, it's, I, I'm not against people enjoying it, but it's not the thing I get out of yep. um, the game. Yeah. I, I agree with that. How about you, Bill? You got anything that's you just don't like as far as the uh, high fantasy goes? I think you you guys summed it up. I mean, the whole the, I, I've always actually detested the whole concept of a magic shop where there's just a shit ton of magic items, you know, on the walls and a hundred potions to choose from. I I've I've never cared for for that kind of thing. I mean, an alchemist shop, sure, but you know, you can you can you can story tell that or hmm. create a narrative to, to to get a specific potion or something. You know, you can side adventure the shit out of it or something. I'm I'm good with that kind of thing, but. And it's not that I would like, I think what Edwin says, I wouldn't walk away from the table because of it, but it's, I don't enjoy it. I, I, as a, as a, as a 
DM. I've, I've never included that kind of stuff. Um, as an author, I never get anywhere near that kind of thing either. So that, that's a big one for me too, is, is the even ability to go for magic users to, to, to run, you know, oh, I need new spells. I'm just going to run over to the giant magic user school right down the block and, you know, get 30 new spells from my spell book. I, no, I, I kind of, I'm more of the find it in the dungeon and earn it kind of, kind of guy. So I think, I think Spoken when you like start, a true GM. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, that's just the element of the game. I, I, I think it's, it gets out of the, and I'm, I honestly, I'm never going to be accused of being the most narrative of a, of a DM. I mean, ironically, I write a lot, but I, I, I'm, I'm not that kind of a DM necessarily. So I don't love the whole outside the dungeon stuff anyway. I, it's not, mm. you know, I, I'd rather just keep the players in the adventure and then kind of, I hate these. I kind of, I'm got a hand wave a lot of the other people. Oh, you found a bunch of stuff. You sold it. Okay. Moving on. Um, <laughs> Blue so. book that stuff, right? <laughs> Somebody it's bought it and they of, lost it the next day. There, it's just a way of get getting it XP. Over. That's all we care about. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> We're moving on. We got, we got, we got new monsters of flight. We got new we got doors to break down. <laughs> new things to kill and take yep. stuff. Jason, you probably feel like you answer this question all the time, but um, can you tell our listeners who may not know, uh, you know, a little bit about West Marches and, and, and what that style is and, and some advice about game mastering it? I'm always surprised that people feel like I'm the expert of West Marches, actually, when people ask me that. But uh, I think I learned it from uh, Eric Hoffman, really. And he turned Ben Robbins is the guy that if you want to know what West Marches is, you should go find his blog, look him up and look up West Marches. And he's going to say, that's what you do for me. I wanted to be able to run games for as many people as possible without having to uh, make up a bunch of new campaigns all the time. So like if I have one sandbox setting that anybody can sit down at the table to start in one safe place and end in one safe place at each session. And anything that happens stays in there. Now, after making the, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to have to make some areas and I'm going to dynamically create some things, but there's not a, to, in my opinion, there's not a better way to have hundreds of different players with multiple characters and with the least amount of work <laughs> than a West Marches setting. Does that make sense? Makes sense. That's why so I do a, it. Do you have a thought? Because I feel like the, the Stonehill game that I've been playing in is very much like everything you said about it, with one exception, I think, uh, fits that. You know, we, we start in town, we end every session in town, uh, and whichever characters want to go, go, and you choose whatever part of Stonehill you want to go tackle, and then you come back. And there's consequences, right? If you, if one party one day kills all the kobolds, then the next party shows up and the kobolds are gone and somebody else has taken over. Uh, what it doesn't have, and it even has sort of the questing idea, right? That the players can decide, we really want to make this faction thing happen or we really want to set up a beer business to deliver to whatever. <laughs> um, but I feel like somehow to me, when I think West Marches, I always think like, I guess I combine that in my mind with the idea of hex crawling and sort of being out of the dungeon and having multiple, you know, the, the dinosaurs in the sandbox kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas this, 
And maybe maybe it's just a, a matter Narr- of scale. It's a like smaller, maybe- yeah, it's a smaller sandbox, really. And there are the there's there's some other aspects. Because you're really talking about an open table game, really. An open table game usually yeah. has that feeling where it all different sorts of players. West, some of the other aspects of West Marches are like the farther you get away from the safe place, the more danger it is. The dangerous, right? Which is. is the same as Stonehill, right? You go down deeper, it's more deeper dangerous. You get, yeah. So I mean, you can you can certainly use the West Marches concept. It's definitely usually a sandbox, which uh, includes a uh, hex crawl with a safe place, start and end in the safe place. All those things are, but you can apply that to lots of different things. Like you could apply yeah. that to a shadow run game where your safe place is a bar. And every time this, you start in a bar, it doesn't always have to be the same runners. They go and do something and they come back. You know, there's a lot of aspects of it. You could do it on a, on a space ship on like a space station and go off to a, a, the same planet or other planets. There's a lot of different things you could do with it. I don't know if I'm like getting away from what your point is or not. No, no, I, well, I think it's beautiful. We're kind of doing a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, diversifying of, you know, this is not just a fantasy element. I like it. I, it's, I, well, one of, one of the things that. I, f- I, I, that I think of as, as West March is unlike, so like Shadowrun, I think of as there's the Mr. Johnson giving you the mission. Oh, the quest aspect, the quest, the quest aspect. And I think, I think the lack of a GM given quest is, is to me sort of one of the fundamental parts of the Westmark experience, right? Yeah. Players. Well, the players are responsible for everything, right? They're responsible for herding the cats. They're going to pick who's going and where they're going and when they want to do it. And they're going to make up some reasons why, and you, you're going to provide rumors. You're going to provide, yeah. hooks all all over the place or little ideas but you're not there's no yeah it's it's very much a totally player open. driven so like, maybe maybe some like you, i could imagine a traveler game where you know oh, we got to pay for our ship and we're going to come up with a way to make that happen and here's what we're going to do like that i could imagine as a as sort of where as opposed to the the shadow run like so it's, it's sort of an interesting uh I mean, obviously you could use the rules of Shadowrun and make a West March style game, mm-hmm. but but I, I just feel like the uh, the sort of the game style that normally that I think of is, is really an episodic like there's the episodic games, which which Shadowrun absolutely is you know and then mm-hmm. and uh, it's that lends itself to the open table part, um, but I think there's that other important element of yeah as you say of player driven everything. I mean, you could do it in a Western. Yeah, definitely. How do you prepare for such a thing? I mean, when the, when the possibilities are infinite. Prepare? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a thing that I call the Kalmata Journal. And it it's where the group musters, where one person is the caller, and he really decides what they're going to do. When you first start this, I would go like by the concept of Chicago Wizzes, basically three hexes. You need one safe place, maybe three hexes around it, and then you have a couple places for them to go. And then things could dynamically be created by your random encounter tables or however you want to do that. And then um, after that, it kind of just, you're still writing different areas for them to go to, which can be dynamically created by your random encounter tables if you have those as part of it. And you're going to create things to go. You don't have like an overarching plot that exists, but stories come out of themselves because it's like oh we got like these 
fishmen that are inhabiting this area where the fishermen from town were all the time. So like, eventually they're going to want to get rid of those fishmen to make that work. And then now you're going to have a fishman plot. Where did those fishmen come from? Why did they end up over in this hex when they started over there? All those things are going to basically create themselves. And when I do the muster sheet, they have to pick out where they're going and they have to give me some time. Like they're going to say what their goal is or what they're trying to do. And whenever anyone says, Hey, we just want to wander off into the jungle and, and see what happens. I'm always like, no, we kind of need something a little more. Like if mm-hmm. it's an, I want you to know like what area you're going to, or at least what area of the jungle, are you going to a certain landmark out there? That way I can actually do some. And sometimes I don't prepare anything. Like Edwin said, I pretty much just let it kind of go. And in that situation, you never know the dice can make a lot of, I mean, the classic uh, Kalmata session is usually, all right, we start in the town. We, we already know where we're going. All that stuff is done. We already know the player characters. We go to the higher porters and we hire our henchmen and we head off. Half the henchmen are dead before we get to where we're going. <laughs> uh, sometimes some of the player characters are, you get to the place, you wander around for, you know, an hour. Of, it's an hour to get there, an hour of game time to get there and an hour to get back. And that's pretty much the session. Hmm. And what's the lag time between when you get the muster sheet figured out and when you actually start playing? Depends. Like if it's some place that they've been to before that I pretty much already have, then it, then it's not a big deal. But uh, a lot of times if I know I'm having a game and when I was, I would sometimes back in the heyday, uh, like during COVID, like if I was off for a week or something, we'd play, we could play every day. So sometimes it would just be that long the longest process is I'm streaming it. So I'm, and I'm, I think one of my niches is using tokens and then having dynamic lighting and having maps that are, are done and polished kind of. So I have to make those for everything that we do. There's some times where I'm drawing it during the session, but I think that's rare compared to the other way. So, I mean, usually I'd say three or four hours max to prepare, but there's times where like, all right, we'll take a break guys and I'll be finishing up a map or something, or at least adding the dynamic lighting. Um, I mean, right now there's probably, I probably have folders for 200 locations maybe. in (laughs) So (laughs) some of them are very small, but some of them are like full fledged, almost mega dungeons as well that I have only basically have like a mind map for kind of if that answers the question. No, it does. Yeah. It's funny listen watching Edwin. Cause he's like, he's actually played it before. And so he kind of knows how it goes. <laughs> it's funny. It's fun. So before we uh, get into our next segment, um, what are some things you got going on right now that you'd like people to know about? Uh, so I think my biggest project is, uh, I'm writing a low fantasy gaming adventure, uh, that I'm also probably going to release for OSE or like some kind of OSR content that's called, it was originally called the Cinerarium of the Sin Eater. And, uh, it's, uh, the idea behind it is, uh, you know, the Cinerarium is basically where you store the ashes from something that was cremated basically. So this bad guy was cremated and you have to figure out what's going on with it. Uh, there's not, there might be one third party adventure for low fantasy gaming at this point. And uh, after I play tested it, I, I mean, I ran it once for like my home group. 
that they want. I maybe I've probably play tested the adventure three or four times. And then I took it to North Texas and we played it there a few times. And I got a lot of great feedback from like Edwin and Carl and the other guys that played it. And, um, now I'm actually creating like an area around it. So it'll be like a small mini campaign. Probably. I got this guy who just happened to be in my discord and played Kalmata and stuff, who is really a great cartographer and artist, which is awesome. Uh, Cause he's like, Oh, you don't have to pay me. And I'm like, nah, your art is good enough that you, you could probably be doing this. It's not the first time this has happened either. Craig Brasco, who has done art for uh, Greg Gillespie was the same way. He was not like a professional artist or anything, but he did a lot of art for my stuff and other people. And now he's does art for lots and lots of people around. But I would say that's probably the main thing that I've been writing. I'm also working on my, uh, uh, a Western game, a weird West game, maybe 10% weird, 90% West. Low, low fantasy Western. <laughs> yeah. Low fantasy Western. Yeah. I'm using a, the chassis of low fantasy gaming coupled with some stuff from uh, uh, shadow of the demon Lord and, you know, just some different games that you kind of throw in there. I have some novel ideas for it. Um, I have this massive tome behind me right here. I don't know if you guys can it, see this. I, I had heard that you had some, uh, some attributions to that. It, 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 good yeah yeah so i got weird frontiers back here by david Beatty that's finally come out uh yeah i, I wrote a little bit in it I, I don't know if he kept any of it but <laughs> he paid me so <laughs> uh that that thing's been going on for a long time beautiful book i mean I, you could definitely kill somebody with it if you hit him. 900 plus pages wow uh, I am excited for your your Western game. I like those ideas. I think there's I think there's some fun. You've got a nice direction there that seemed uh, at least maybe my experience is limited, but it seemed new. It seemed interestingly different from a lot of the stuff I've seen. Cool, man. Thanks. Yeah, right. that I really want to wait until wintertime when my actual work business slows down and just run a ton of games online again because I've I've certainly missed that from the last the year a year ago when i was playing and running almost every night of the week like edwin right <laughs> so i definitely miss that but none of us can be like edwin <laughs> <laughs> i used to be i, mean, I, I think you had more you had more going i on. hear that yeah. pill shadow of the edwin you used to be <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh i don't even i don't know if i'm comfortable with that well <laughs> <laughs> We've got some questions uh, from our listeners, so we best get to that. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. All right, got a, I got three letters tonight. Uh, first one is from Larry Hot. Uh, he responded to Hi, our Larry. <laughs> yeah, we actually Mumphrey's got a... RPG musings is his podcast. Ah, I didn't, he, he, he oh. didn't self-promote. Hey, if, if you're going to write into the program, self-promote, man. I love people's podcasts. I, I didn't put that together either. Excellent. Um, anyhow, he, he just wrote in uh, in response to the episode we had with Chris Holmes. said, uh, it's a very interesting interview with uh, Mr. Holmes. Such history and deep dives during the geek cred. Another great episode, gentlemen. Thank you, Larry. And, uh, Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Larry. Thanks, uh, Larry. Simply by writing in, uh, Larry is going to be put into our drawing to be an at-home winner uh, for the Geek Credit segment. So uh, remember that all it takes is a write-in. You can write in something like that that we can read aloud, 
you could just write into us and say, Hey, I just want in the, uh, in the whole game show. Um, this whole dungeon, gmail.com, uh, get yourself entered into that. Write us something. Tell us what you're up to. Promote yourself. Promote your podcast, folks. Promote your books. Promote whatever you're doing. Uh, we, we love to help the community. So, Next one up here uh, is from John Williams. It says that he loved the episode about Benchleydale. I think it's a very interesting concept for a community. Do you know of any other games slash communities like this for other game systems? And then he says, I was going to ask something else, but I'm totally blanking on it now. So I'll just say, take care. <laughs> I know that feeling. I know that feeling, John. Um, I, I don't know. I, I know that uh, the Dead Game Society is a Facebook group and an organization uh, for cons. Uh, and there's a lot of individual games that they deal with that have their own kind of following uh, with Facebook pages and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, I know when we did the episode on Ghostbusters, uh, there's a Ghostbusters, uh, I think it's called the Ghost Die uh, Facebook page that had kind of some of those guys had interacted with me and I, I kind of found that on there. Um, so if, you've, if you're into a game, I'm sure, you know, search it up. I'm sure somebody's keeping that flame alive if you're into one of these yeah. old games. I feel like there's a lot of this going on. I mean, oh, there's the, tons. Uh, Gaming and BS yeah. Discord, right? There's tons yeah. of people going on well, there for people looking for games. But that this, I think, I mean, this is, I think the thing about Benchleydale, and I don't know if this is what John is, is getting at, but that it was specifically around one game system. Oh, right? that one yeah. is just, just first edition AD&D. That's it. That's what they're doing. Um, and that it's, but I, I think even if you limit it to that, like, so the, I'm going to put a little plug in here too, but um, the, the the one of the french games that i've been playing in uh, although a lot less recently to me feels like this it's a community they've got a world they've got you know ways of bringing people in they've got hundreds of players you you know you sign up whatever you 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 do the thing um and and that's all you know it's all fifth edition and but but it to me that feels very similar there's you know it's a community a world it's one game system and that's what you're doing and i think Cobbs, i feel like you're you know, I think um, Kamada is effectively that, right? It's a community yeah. where people come in, they play. It's it's uh, more or less one system, except sometimes you change the system. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so I, I think the, I feel like the community around game systems exist all over the place. Um, the, the piece that I wanted to put out there was the, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna get it wrong here because I always get it wrong. I better, I better. You, you we'll guys capture this through the magic of editing. All oh, right. Oh yeah. It's, it's the humble bundle. Uh, low fantasy, uh, old school. Nope. It's nope. Independent publisher is what it is right now. Uh, but it's got a bunch of OSC stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, and the reason it twigged on me is for some reason. So it. It supports a little bit the extra life charity, and for some reason, and I don't know how this happened. I don't know if it has, if it's like my browser or what the deal is, but it also supports this French gaming group. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't know where that link came from. I'm very curious I, about it. I think it comes from from Necratic Gnome uh, when it has to. It's got to come from OSE. But it's, yeah. he's not French. Uh, he must have put him in contact because a lot of OSC stuff in that bundle. And the there's a lot of OSC stuff in that bundle. 
Right, ne- necrotics out of Europe, right? So uh-huh. yeah, but but this is I, a Quebec. Uh, this I said French, but it's actually Quebec. Uh, well, then Canadian. I, but maybe <laughs> so, not. I don't know. I, I was, you're blind. French. I'm like, my first thing thought, okay, you know, necrotic gnomes, European company, and and because yeah. well, we're it in could that. Be, it could be. It could be that. But anyway, if I'll, you, if I'll find want, out. I'll find out, and we'll let people know because we're we're in that. Pacer's yeah. got like seven seven books in that humble bundle right now. So, so yeah, check that humble bundle out if you're. It's amazing. By the way, yeah, if it's still active when when this goes live, people look at that is a ridiculous value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to sorry, you got John Williams there. <laughs> Took your question no, and please. hijacked. <laughs> you, you know that you are. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'll I'll try and get us back to you, but um, even out of RPGs like uh, Starfleet Battles has the same kind of thing. There's a there's a there's a you know a, a tight tight group and it's just they don't care about any other stuff but it's, it's all starfy battles kind of thing like that so i they, i know it's not just rpgs it's it's there's other tabletop games that have the same kind of uh focus like that and starfy well, battles uh, has a couple different segments there's starfy commander uh there's just old school starfy battles um yeah, so I I don't know. I think it's a lot more widespread than we probably know. Because I'm I not. I don't know. I mean, intrinsically, I don't. I'm not sure what the difference is between like that and you know Pathfinder Society or Adventurers League, except for like numbers of people, the size of the community. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously there's a scale difference which affects the uh, the quality, and I don't mean good bad, but the style mm-hmm. of of community. Um, but it, it feels like the same thing just just yeah I, I know where you, i think i know where you're getting at i, I, I agree so hopefully we cool. answered that question yeah and if not uh write in again and you can be in the and you can potentially you know, prize. You give us a little more specifics <laughs> <laughs> or if you remember what you were going to ask <laughs> <laughs> jason on the kilmata end is is that something that people can still become a part of oh yeah definitely um, I haven't been running as many games lately because I just don't. My schedule, as you guys know, is is really <laughs> crazy right now. But uh, yeah, I mean it. It is a part of my patron, my Patreon, basically that was created for Hobbs and Friends. It goes into that. You have to be a patron to be in Kalmata, but as soon as you become it, then it's up to you. It's all player driven. So you want to get in there? You just basically it all takes place on my Discord, and you just go in there and say, Hey, I want to play a game and get some other people to do it. There's tons and tons of way to research it. I uh, allow anything that you know about Kalmata that you've read from anything that I've published or you've watched on videos, your character knows they've learned it through rumors or whatever. So you don't have to like play, like you don't know anything. So you just get in there and can get after it. It's uh, uh, absolutely happy to happy to have people in there. It's $3 a month is what it is. So it's not very much. And you can play as much as you really wanted, as long as you can get me to play, I guess. <laughs> I had I one that was, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I did have one yeah. that was a low fantasy gaming that was similar to that set in the Midlands as well. Uh, it's kind of gone a little inactive, but it all happens at my Discord. Sweet. All right, Lou, let's go. I'm third guy. All right. Stan Jenks. A hello from Minnesota, Dungeonites. Oh, oh, I, I was going to mention this at the top of the uh, show here. Uh, I saw that your listeners are called the uh, the Hobbs Goblins. I thought that was amazing, man. That's awesome. <laughs> anyhow, uh, so anyhow, hello from Minnesota, Dungeonites. My name is is Stan Jenks, 
and I've recently started listening to your podcast after seeing that you covered the Ghostbusters game. I have not gotten through all your episodes yet. One episode lasts me a few days since I listen mostly in the car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so forgive me. That says a lot about us. Yeah. <laughs> what time is it? Oh, geez. Okay. So forgive me if you've already covered something like this in prior episodes. I recently had a disappointing end to a multi-session adventure. After three sessions of hex and dungeon crawling, my players dusted the main villain, an adult green dragon, in just a few rounds of combat. This was largely due to die results being in their favor, a well-played lightning bolt scroll, and a ranger with a plus two magic axe. We play with crits times two damage, if that matters, and the three PCs were averaging fifth level. I'm thinking I should have made the dragon older with more uh, powerful or added some minions into the room. What is your take on this? How would you have made this final encounter one to remember? Is there anything that could have been done in the moment? Looking forward to listening to the rest of the episodes, and please count me in for the geek credit segment. Well, Stan, anyone that writes in is counted, so you're in there, buddy. What do you guys think? How do you how do you make an end battle more memorable? What could it be done? Is, is there anything in the moment you would have done? What's, what do you well, so get, who, get who, who gets to start? I want to know. You, I, you, you, I, okay. I, I've had this happen. I've, I've, we've all had this happen. I mean, as you know, but I, I've had it happen in the D and D tournament uh, in Texas, where you know you've got this you know big boss fight at the end of the usually if they, if they get to the end of the, end of the adventure you know the, the tournament group, and uh, in this particular one, most of the groups did, and it was it was you know usually a lopsided fight against the PCs. They're so wore down by that point, uh, but a, a group came in and literally almost one-shotted the the main big bad boss fight at the end and it, it was over in two rounds it, it was crazy it was something that that I, I couldn't even imagine happening. but the dice rolls just went so wonky the wrong way you know that way mm -hmm. uh so it can happen it just does um but uh i think the unique thing about this this uh this encounters, you know, he specifically had a dragon, right? So he's got PCs fighting a dragon. I mean, I'm not sure what rule system. Did he say what rule system he's using? No, that's what I love about this. We look yeah. at all this detail. We don't even. Yeah, know I need. I need the, that would be helpful or... because depending what rule system it is, I mean, in a lot of D and D editions or versions, younger dragons are really aren't that powerful. Uh, so if you know, a few fifth level characters could easily take down, you know, a younger dragon. Uh, depending on what type it is, too. I mean, you got he say I know he meant he said he green. He's an adult, green, an adult yeah. green dragon. There's no baby. Wow, I still I can't think of many rule systems that would be an easy fight. But uh, I, well, no greens aren't that. I mean, <laughs> all dungeon, all dragons are are terrible, right? But yeah, you know, like it kind of goes black green, right? Those are the two bottom rows. Yeah, the uh, white white's the right. White is the weakest. Oh, white is okay. Then green dragon, but. Still, I'm thinking he only said three player characters, right? Three fifth level characters. That, yeah, he said averaging. Yeah, so I mean, I'd like to know what the hell happened. And just yeah. a couple rounds to wipe out a green dragon, a green dragon with three fifth level characters. Well, he, he mentions he he doubles crits. I'm wondering. Let's see what could. I was wondering if it wasn't like a first edition style game, and that's why there's the question about doubling crits. And I, I think so. It has to be. And they, yeah. you know, you roll high and you get the the magic axe and boom. Yeah. I mean, you. They, uh, even a, an adult green dragon doesn't have that many hit points, honestly. Right. What, what, 30, this is, 40? 
My question, my question would be, how do the players feel? This is obviously exactly. from the GM's point of view. The players probably sure. thought it was fantastic. That's what I'm, you know what I'm saying. What I was this is super yeah. memorable for them. They came <laughs> exactly. in, they wasted this dragon, and they're just pumped up about it. They get the dragon horde, so maybe you don't have to do anything. I always, well, say, I feel like if they if they were nervous about this, and if they'd been thinking about it for four or six sessions or something mm-hmm. like that, and then they showed mm-hmm. up and stomped it, boom. I mean, they're they're yeah. all doing the thing out of the Conan movie, right? Where they're standing on top and they stab it, and the music plays, and <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, they're going I mean, on. They're the going only crazy. Thing, yeah, the only thing that might have been like I, th- I feel like if 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 I were worried that an ending like this was going to be, um, uh, what's the word? Counter anticlimactic. Anticlimactic. It would be. I would make sure that there's the, to epilogue it. Right. What is the what what happens because you stomped this dragon and, you know, sure. some some super awesome or bad or who knows what. But but that's, I think, where you can bring back in the uh, the, the, yeah, the music playing and the exactly the, well, the glory. And, so I, I wouldn't worry about it Jim, because it, it creates it also kind of creates opportunity. Right. So as, as a as a as a mean, OK, put my mean DM hat on. Well, they just stomp this green dragon in a couple of rounds, right? So now these guys, the next time they come across a dragon, you're probably going to be a little overconfident. You can really <laughs> stick it to them the next time around. So I don't know. No, I think I, I think one of the it's, it's not always bad. It's no, not always yeah. Bad. When I read this question, I sort of feel like there were two questions here. One is how do you make the finale of a of a campaign memorable? And that's that's a difficult question, and it's mm-hmm. and it you know I feel like a lot of adventures close flat, whether it's a four hour adventure or a four year adventure. They often because because so much of the sparkle of role playing games is accidental. Like this session was awesome because you happened to pull in some wacky ass NPC, and the characters happened to roll really well or really poorly or whatever, and things you know things just all work together. And then this other session, so I think hitting your stride on a finale is just hard mm-hmm. but i feel like he, he's also asking how do you make an interesting fight mm-hmm. and i don't think those are are the same thing like at all like yes you might want your finale to be an interesting fight and we could probably talk about that or you can go listen to 78 episodes of gaming and bs on it but... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're getting a lot of play on the show oh and I'd be happy to talk about that, and I'm sure we all would. But I feel like yeah. I feel like there are two sort of philosophically. There's two different things here, and that one is, you know, was it a, you know, were they excited to stomp this dragon? Were they did it did it answer the questions that it, uh, you know, the village is at peace or whatever? Who's how you know, um, yeah. But it, so it, the whole point was probably to defeat the dragon anyway, right? Exactly. It was just the way it happened. Right. So I think that that's what's tripping, tripping our, that's our, what I think, yeah. our writer up here. <clears throat> and so if, if we're thinking this is more like one, you know, in one single boss fights usually aren't so one sided like that. I mean, your big boss monsters against lower level PCs, it, it usually kind of evens out pretty well. And the fight usually goes on. You know, I, I know. My limited experience with 5e, it can kind of be, it, it's its a way more of a struggle for the DM sometimes, right, um, to, to do the single 
creature versus a large party. It gets a little more wonky, right? And it's not a knock on 5e. 5e is a brilliant game. But it's it's just it is different that way versus 1e. So I think when it happens in 1e, I think it's probably more surprising. And that's I think there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of elements coming in here in this question. There's a lot more questions in the one question than we're hearing. But I, you know, so one, like I said, single single creature fights versus a, a party of adventures is always a tricky thing. It, it you know it can get out of hand on either. I don't way. want to say out of hand. I mean that's not the right thing. Out of hand for the game. It's swing. It's swinging. This guy is like swinging. Yeah, his uh, all of a sudden something happened and his his big bad guy that he was looking forward to challenging the PCs goes down in two rounds and. Well, well, know, well, action well, economy, right? Action, action economy is, is so exactly upside down. What I was thinking. Yeah. 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 So, so obviously, you know, a, a green dragon, you know, probably should have some minions, maybe some sort of trap or maybe some sort of uh, mechanism. You know, I don't know if it was in his lair. I mean, we don't, we have, there's a lot of unknowns here. You Do know, something with the environment. Right? That's what I was thinking. It could have, you know, it, they could have been attacking an illusion instead of the actual dragon. He's up on a ledge over here doing something different. You know, there's just there's there's different ways. I think you you can handle that, and I think the way you have to handle that because but there is always that danger, right? That you're that you're your big bad boss, and especially dragons. I mean, I mean, I hate to be this way, but anything anything below older dragons in in AD and D, they don't have they don't have a lot of hit points. I mean, an adult white dragon, for example, has got like twenty five hit points. One yeah, especially bolt. if you're doubling crits with yeah. a lightning bolt oh, if you well, bounce sure. it properly right a failed a failed saving throw yeah. and a good dice roll you know and it, it, it's over before you know it so yeah. it can happen real quick which i think is probably what happened here i think he probably had a, a the, the pc's heads just you know rolled off the charts Maybe he's dragon lost initiative too. On top, you know, it could have been <laughs> a series of bad, of, of, of weird dice rolling that did it. But the it, again, it just go. I'm going to circle back to again. It's when you have one creature against a party of PCs, it can really. I, I think it can absolutely lend to go in that direction. So you have to kind of set that encounter up to give yourself as a dungeon master to make that fight a little more evocative. Even if it's even if the, you know your your bad bet, big bad's going to lose no matter what. You might want to throw a couple things in there to just make that fight a little bit more exciting. And you know what? But again, from the player's point of view, like we said, they probably went crazy when they did that, right? That was just like, holy yeah, shit, we killed that guy. They rolled a couple 20s. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maxed out their damage. I mean, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. They were, so as long as everyone was, had fun with it, and, you know, sometimes you don't as a, as a DM, but uh, because he might have been looking forward. I think right, his expectation was something that didn't occur in the, in, in right. the event. But you know what? Use it to your advantage. Like I, I, like I said, I would throw another dragon at him right down the road, not too far away. And, uh, you know, maybe lay the wood to him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I always do nowadays uh, when I'm preparing a, a big boss fight or whatever is I try to think less about, like, what powers the boss has and more about like what can the boss do with those powers that's unique or interesting that will trip them up. Uh, you know, Jason was talking about the environmental thing. That's huge. I mean, you could do some really cool cinematic things if you think about the environment and place some things in it that, you know, will react with the the battle, you know, if the dragon's breathing poisonous gas or whatever, you know, how can that affect other things in the environment and cause a, a whole nother, scenario that the, the players have to deal with on top of the fight uh, that's but, what i was going to say is that 
one of the things I think about, which sounds similar, is, is basically making sure there are multiple targets, multiple goals. So killing the dragon was what they think they went there for, maybe. Yep. But, you know, maybe there's also somebody who needs to get rescued who's being eaten up by acid or the horde is, is falling down into the lava or, you know, whatever. So that there's some tactically interesting things that are not just dealing damage um, that bring out some more creative problem solving. Because I think that helps uh, make a memorable encounter because like, oh, man, remember that time we had to figure out blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, related, which I think is what you were saying there, Lou. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, I think in that, Edwin, I know, I know Lou, you you and I were talking about, uh, I think, you know, you were a thing in the Valley real recently that we did. So the end boss fight in that spoiler is, is the PCs get to fight the thing actually, right? But it, it's a single creature versus a party of PCs. But, you know, what I did is I put him up on a third, he's, he's 30 feet up in this tower and it's like open beams and platforms. So the PC's got to kind of climb up there to get to the guy. And then it's all open. So he can knock them off and they can fall down. But it's like an old sparring chamber. So there's mats and ropes. So they can, <laughs> they won't fall to their desk necessarily. They can fall and hang and then climb back up and get back in it. So it kind of creates an environment where, where you know this, this creature's going to, he's going to buy the farm against a group of PCs, but he can make it interesting in the meantime. You know, and half mm-hmm. the battle is against the environment, is against you know, exactly, the exactly. The so, you, as a DM, it gives you more tools, and the and the and the players get to see there's more than one obstacle right here. It's not just all their focus is on this one one creature. There's a there's a whole environmental thing here that they got to get past, um, and that seemed to work really well in that specific encounter. So, you know, just. I think think things similar that way. Next time you have your big boss fight, think about the environment your big boss is in and try and use that. Because he would, right? Any big boss with an intelligence would use his environment, especially if it's his lair. He's going to be set up and be prepared for this kind of thing and and try and make a you know don't make it a death trap, make it a um, an interesting. You trap. can do some fun <laughs> stuff with it, right? You can do some fun stuff with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, final thing I want to do. Uh, Joe George had posted a really cool pic of one of Chris Holmes' uh, handmade games uh, from the North Texas convention a few years back on our Facebook page. And I just wanted to thank him for doing that and encourage anyone that wants to post anything on there, pictures of, you know, your own games, whatever, you know, we we want that to be a space for the community and, uh, you know, just have at it. And thank you for those of you that have been posting on there and keep going, you know. All right. Uh, We're, we're, Two hours and 15 minutes in, and we're ready we're for the ready main to get event. Started? Yeah, let's get started. All right. This old dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right. <laughs> probably probably cut a few corners on this, uh, but uh, at uh, at Jason's request, uh, we're looking at uh, the secret of Bone Hill tonight. Um, before you start on on you know what this is and when it was published, um, I- any particular reason you pulled this one? Um, I've always loved this cover, and I've always been fascinated by what siege warfare would be with magic. And so you have the one castle that's been hit by fireballs, yeah. which you don't really see. And secondarily, I think 
uh, this is a really good, like sort of a hex crawl basis. And, um, and I've always thought it was an interesting title, like the secret of bone Hill. And I still don't even know what the secret is. Really, <laughs> That's on my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those are pretty much the primary reasons. And I've always loved this actual picture and adventure. This was one of the first online uh, games that I played in like 2011 or 2012 or so when I first started getting back into it, Brian tackle used this to run his own game. And then I took it over as the GM and we played it for quite a while with maybe 10 or 12 different players throughout the time. I used this little setting. So little soft spot in my heart no. for it. <laughs> now the, uh, for those of you that don't know, this is a uh, first edition module uh, author Len Lakofka uh, was the one that wrote it. Um, try to go just on the highlights here. Came out uh, in, uh, what was it, 1981. Uh, Len had been a friend of Gary Gygax for quite a while. Wow. He was, uh, knew him through the uh, uh, International Federation of War Gamers. He was actually the president at the time that they threw the first Gen Con. So he was kind of oversaw the first Gen Con. Um, helped edit some of the original um, publications of uh, the AD&D books. Uh, I think like yeah, the Player's Handbook and the, the uh, I want to say it's the Dungeon Master's Guide. He helped edit, uh, did some spot editing anyhow. Now, I, I find it's hard to believe, and maybe it's already been adjusted for today's dollars, but uh, the information I read said that he got paid $10,500 by Brian Bloom uh, to do the manuscript for this l2 and l3 the the you know kind of sequels to this but i just i find that just unbelievable amount of money for for writing game content at that time but i don't know it's i can actually comment on that i um when i sold thing in the valley to tsr i got paid 1500 bucks and i, I thought that oh, wow. was a shit ton of money yeah so wow. i mean this is significantly more than that but thing of the valley was a bx adventure so um i'm sure they weren't paying as much for that I wasn't a friend of Gary's. <laughs> yeah, that, he's got that going for him. So yeah, I suppose. A um, you know, so you know, I, I, don't know I, I thought the same thing, Louis. So you're talking about about thirty five hundred bucks in adventure. I don't know what kind of royalty agreement he had or didn't have either with that, because most of their authors they did do royalty stuff with hmm. um, to keep their initial costs down. TSR had. We can go into all the weird business practices they had, but uh, <laughs> they had lots of them. I mean, no, no two people were ever handled the same way. So um, I Especially was, yeah, since that, L three was never actually published. Well, it, it was sort of but was. not. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't this version. It was someone right. else's. Yeah, yeah. they stuck it in that silver. Yeah, they stuck it in that silver anniversary. It wasn't box Leonard's there. version. It was somebody else's. Yeah, he, he claims yeah. that only about eighty percent of it was his, and it was old stuff of his, not the newer. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of an yeah. interesting tale right there. But uh, so yeah, so secret so of Bone Hill, I, uh, the island of. Uh, is it, it's not, I keep wanting to say Lendor. I keep wanting to say yep. Lendor, but Lendor, yeah. So that's yeah. that's an area in Greyhawk that Gary kind of gifted to to Len and said, "Hey, do with do with yeah. it what you want." And uh, we get this as the first product set up. You know, li like you were saying, Jason, just an open sandbox. I mean, there's not really any plot going on. You don't even really get much of a background uh, of what some of these characters are doing that are in the module. Um, Let's, let's talk about who wants to, who's got something they want to, we'll, we'll kind of talk about what's in there as it is. And then we'll, we'll after we get done with that, we'll talk on uh, what we would do different or what we think would, would be 
a nice improvement on it if we're running it right here right now i really like the the, the ruined guard shack that's in the actual town because mm -hmm. like if you're starting a you know, this, if the Restonford is your safe zone, you need like a little place for them to go adventure. Like, is it Xenopus's lair from home, from, you know, homes or whatever, or is it this ruined guard shack or is it the moat house from the village of Hamlet? <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a nice little uh, thing that I kind of enjoy. Uh, this is like the, I don't know, the invincible overlord style where he's like detailing in, you know, pretty heavy detail all of the people that are around and then you can use them however you want in your game which i think is cool and then i'd say lastly i think this was the first time that um humanoid like babies or young were involved in a published adventure hmm. yes so that brought out a lot of different interesting like how are you going to deal with the bugbear young Mm -hmm. right are you going to kill them so there's no more are you really killing babies now what yeah. it was one of those uh moral things that you had to think about in the time and this was one of the first modules that like put it out there into the into the stratosphere or whatever you want to say <laughs> into, in, into the environment like what are you going to do kind of thing to create that moral dilemma that i don't think was ever there before it it, it definitely hadn't um and it, it's like you said it it's uh, there's young, there's bugbear families. There's no families in here. Uh, it's in a couple different spots. There, there's um, the one bugbear that's just out there looking for work. <laughs> you know, it talks about him <laughs> <Yeah>. like walking <laughs> around. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there, there's a lot of entry stuff, right? Because the thing is, the thing is basically a, a, a miniature hex crawl. I mean, it this this module starts off bizarrely enough by just throwing it at you. It's just saying. Here, and we'll get into the whole how we're going to fix this module. This, I love this module too. I, I, I really do. Um, when when we brought this up that that we were going to do this, I, but the, my first memory of it was, I I, um, I remember my eye, you know, my eyes just bleeding trying to read this thing. This <laughs> thing just does not read well. It oh, it is all sorts of disorganized. It just, it's it's all over the place. Um, Nothing that not a, a highlighter me, I, and a bunch of sticky notes couldn't fix. Yeah, right? but it's it's also unique, right? I mean, it's it, it's got some really cool set piece encounters. The you, you can have a lot of fun with the uh, the clerics and their gambling hall. You know, it's kind of an interesting <laughs> way to to yeah. to use that uh, instead of just run into the clerics every time you need something. You know, you, they're going to kind of make you play a game, and you're going to have to gamble, lose some money, and but they don't want you staying there all the time and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I, I recently, when I was doing some research on this, we see half the modules devoted to the town of Resternford, right? Is, is lots of maps detailing the ends, the people, everybody that's in it. But most of that honestly is supposed to get used for, um, L2, the assassin's L2. not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's when it comes into play. You're probably not going to do a whole heck of a lot you know with with the city itself i think i mean you could but the key is supposed to be going up to you know this the wilderness area and, and hunting things down killing them and stealing their money right. <laughs> you guys have any thoughts on the distances i don't know if you check that out and I, I don't i don't have a really good mind for this but uh looking at the map you've got this the, the big map the, the overland map You've got the city and then you've got all the different hills 
mountains, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're, they're pretty, pretty steep. Um, and like from Bone Hill to the city is 24 miles about a little bit more than that actually. Right. Um, and that's like, as the crow flies too, not even like avoiding, you know, climbing up and down hillsides all day. I mean, does that seem like a far distance to go adventuring away? I don't even know. I mean, it, it, it being a game, it doesn't really matter anyhow, I suppose, but, but I just got to thinking. Days, hmm. Yeah. Most of it's on a road, right? You could take a road to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it means so, one no, night. I don't think so. I mean, there's yeah. some people actually argued it was too small of an area well, that's, for the amount of things that were here. Yeah, and that's what I what, what I was leading into because that's the common argument is oh, you know, this ecosystem would never work. Uh, it's you know, all these monsters would be killing each other and raiding the town. And but I thought, well, that's kind of a big distance. I mean, I can't imagine from my house walking 24 miles. You know how long that would take, and, and even you know knowing much about what's out there in a, in a society that doesn't have cars and, and instant communication and whatnot. I think it's two days. I don't think that's a crazy, I mean, they'd, they'd be long days, but mm-hmm. four hexes away in a six mile hex. And you're going to roll for a lot of wandering monsters. Yeah, every six hours. What, there's a two wandering meters. monster. There's a wandering monster chart every freaking three paragraphs. In this book, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it could, it could definitely be, uh, many sessions of gameplay to get i mean i feel like i feel like if i were running this we'll dive into this like if i were running it you know the first couple times maybe they go back and forth i would probably make it a thing i feel like eventually if they went back and forth a lot i'd get bored of that and i'd start Mm -hmm. to hand wave the the travel Mm -hmm. like okay you you get back to the village great right Uh, so that's something that i think i would think about how to how to do but I really liked, like, I didn't know what I was reading at first, and I'm still not sure what I read. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like the uh, the dungeon, like the the adventure stuff. There's there's so much good. Uh, like, I was thinking about this as a a really like a, the dungeon. I was thinking about as a parts a parts car. Um, you know, there's so many good, like the statues mm-hmm. and traps and encounters yeah. that are just really nicely thought out. I think probably go back a little bit to what we're thinking about of, of interesting multi-axis in, uh, encounters. Like you've got A, B, and C going on, and it can be pushed in a bunch of different directions. And I, yeah. I mean, they are they are just really good. Yeah, uh, there's some great set pieces in the dungeon. The mirror yeah. room, right, and then um, the stone guardian yeah. room, the spectator room. The yeah. yeah the 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 uh, this the stone gonna, guy throwing the, the hammer yeah oh the yeah I, I like the, the two things that really uh, I was kind of like wow that's amazing um this seems stupid but the, the secret door that you can get severely hurt by yeah you guys catch that one <laughs> it's swing, like I, I never even thought one. about that that oh you know you're going through this you know secret door but there's a risk involved you know it's it's springing back and springing back fast that you was know? pretty cool uh, yeah <laughs> and then <laughs> and well, then the uh, the, the, the statue that had been captured and defiled, I thought just that that concept of, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. A, a evil person taking this good statue and defiling it and having it in their their dungeon or whatever is kind of interesting. Right. And you can bless it and get a pretty good, a pretty good bonus out yeah. of uh, doing that. Yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, there's a ton of good stuff in there. They didn't it didn't hang together for me particularly well, but no, no, just a lot. Of, and a, a, the other thing that cracked me up <laughs> was 
his level of uh of math detail oh yeah like there's like you get a saving throw that has a four percent chance of success per point of dexterity above 10 like it was just all over the place and yeah. it wasn't ever like even numbers it was like seven per, you know i was trying to figure out like how did he how did he, he got there somehow like you know Dude, there was some he uh there, there's so much fun in here there this is so early first edition AD and D is not even funny. Yeah. Because right? yeah. he's yeah. just he's just making shit up as he goes along. He's got a, he's yes. got a staff, right? Throws a lightning bolt, does I think two to twenty damage. Yeah. But if you make your saving throw, it does two d4. What the fuck? Where does that, <laughs> that mechanic exist nowhere in D and D? Dude, on page two, the chance of knowing yeah. the number of rumors given. It's like the first thing almost <laughs> yes, going into you're like, depending on your level, on, on how many rumors you picked up. It's like, that, that did crack me up. Like, yeah, if you're a high level character, you know more levels. I thought more that rumors. was, well, yeah, it, yeah. That in was a way that the, rumor, sorry. the, the, the rumors really were, were set up where it's like, uh, the ones that are false, we, we've italicized the part that's false. The so false like, uh, there's a, a a conjurer that you know lives in town and it conjures you know a town size because it's not a conjurer it's right. a cleric oh my gosh oh. exactly if, if you notice he's 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 big on that he, uh, uh, yeah I, I i i don't think i caught this years and years ago but he's got npcs in there he'll have the name and then he'll have like it's like another name and then the class uh-huh. and the middle name's not is actually their title or name something. level Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah from he'll have like you know lord curate rider ranger and i'm like yeah, what the yeah. fuck is he trying to talk it took me a while <laughs> to figure that out is that well strider always oh, a second level ranger but he does it throughout this it's kind of fascinating to see that because nobody else it does yeah. that anymore. well i think i mean that's just something that just never caught on right because i mean that's in the no. the player's handbook and everything right. it's just yeah yeah, it's a long time that, that rumor table goes for character levels one through nine. This is an adventure for levels two to four. Yeah, it's a levels two to four. But the the rumor table gives you the number of rumors up to a level nine character. So you just have to bring <laughs> your level nine character. Never graduated Bone Hill. <laughs> well, he's got other funny parts in it, right? I mean, if it, let's say that you run this for a group of second level PCs, one, they're probably done. They're, they're going to oh, get wiped out. Oh, yeah. But he, even it, like it, I said, he, he, he's got a whole thing in there. So if, if they go into that gambling hall of all the clerics, right. Which as, as players are wanting to do, a fight could break out oh, or, you know, it, it could happen. Yeah. They're done. It, it's a 10th yeah. level cleric and ninth level cleric and like three, four. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. over half the uh, occupants of the town are like second, third level characters. <laughs> With magic items. <laughs> With magic yes. items. It's the village of Hamlet. I mean, it's in the <laughs> it early is. days, it's, this right. is exactly what happened. This is what they did because they knew in their game that the players are going to come in and try and kill everybody. So oh, yeah. They're going to yep. try and stop that, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's neat. This is, uh, for, so for all our, our, our listeners out there, I mean, if, if you haven't read Bone Hill or played Bone Hill, it, or, and you're going to want a good idea what 1E AD and D was like in 1981. This is absolutely a snapshot of 1981 AD and D. I mean, it's it really is. It's all it's it's all over the place, but it has like like I think I'm because there's some amazing set piece encounters in here you could actually pull out for almost anything. Um, but it's looking at it in 2022, the, the book itself has not aged well at all. It didn't age well back then. It's really bad now trying to trying to put get your way through this thing yeah the information's you know you might need this piece of information but they tell you about it you know as they're talking about entering into the you know dungeon or whatever 
Uh, but when you really need it is when you encounter the character just talked about, you know, three pages later. Oh, they, some, they some encounters have like three numbers together. Some <laughs> encounters are one. They, uh, they do that with the Wraith, right? They, uh, mm -hmm. they, 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 you, you, it says Wraith layer and you read about this Wraith layer. And then there's one sentence that says, see stats, you know, in other section of the dungeon. Yeah, it doesn't give you a page or anything. I'm like, how hard would it have been just to throw this two line stat block in here, right? I mean, just, it's a, it's, it's hilarious, but, uh, you know, we can get into a lot of those things when we get to the, the, when we, this old dungeon in, but uh, there's some great encounters. It's a wilderness crawl, you know, I think as an overview of this adventure and there's a dungeon, an old castle, you know, sounds cliche, but cliche is great. And, uh, uh, you get to get explored. And I think one of the cool things about the, the the keep that they did was there's a dynamic going on. There's, if you raid it in the daytime, it's like this. But if you come at night, it's a bunch of undead, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. And they could have done so much more with it, I, I think, than they actually did. But mm -hmm. um it's it's there's there are some innovative things in this in this module that you don't see a lot um around that time period well like um, jason was saying uh i mean you're talking about the siege and how you, you can kind of th th there's kind of like archaeological evidence there of what had happened to destroy the the i don't know what this is fortress or whatever yeah uh, it's kind of cool this hill it, giant it, skeleton is still <laughs> under yeah. the ruined the, catapult right yeah. Did anybody catch on that that I, that Len Lacofta is probably a big fan of electricity and lightning? By the way, <laughs> it's in like four or five different encounters in here. It's kind of interesting, right? And then you've got the cover, which is yeah. the Willingham cover, which is absolutely gorgeous. That's you awesome. know, the, the female wizard lightning bolting up the, assumably the wraith, right? So who knows? Which again, none of it really works because it's a second through fourth level I, adventure. See, I, I thought this was the uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, tell Tell Nor Tell Tell uh, Tell oh, Nor, the wizard yeah, teacher, the wizard. Yeah, that's who I thought it was. It could Telavar. be. It could be. And then you know, there's just there's just great. There's some great art we could talk about for a minute. And there's some you know fantastic early, very early Errol Otis stuff. Uh, a beautiful Hydra on the back cover, which doesn't appear in the adventure module at all. And there's so all the, these. Go ahead. Uh, the version, uh, so I, I bought the PDF off of drive-thru, but somehow I have in my drive a, a Word document of the text and then a PDF of, of the maps and then a separate PDF of the art. And so, and I found that on my hard drive first, and I don't have any idea where I got that from, but the, <laughs> the, I was looking just through the art PDF and I thought it would be really fun to give that to an author and say, write me an adventure. Like, write me what you think this is. Here, here's the <laughs> art. Go. <laughs> Sorry, what were you it's, saying, Lou? <laughs> oh, I, I didn't know. Jason, were you about to talk about that Hydra? I, I thought oh, no, was it's in. just someone Someone was saying that Errol Otis maybe didn't like the adventure or something, and it was like a, it was like a throwback. But who knows, right? Like, look at the size of this giant rat in this picture. Holy shh. <laughs> on page 26 man it's like yep, his yep. head is the size of the barbarian or something <laughs> holy yep. cow yeah. yeah yeah it's a really interesting adventure when when you're second level and you see a giant rat that's how big it looks to you <laughs> <laughs> especially if it killed your compadres right <laughs> it was huge uh yeah so uh bill talked about the the mirror of opposition which was 
a, a cool encounter, but in the weirdest spot it possibly could appear, I think. Um, so this was a, a mirror that's just tucked away in this little, little alcove of a cave um, that if you look into it, you get sucked into it and you face your own reflection in battle. Um, again, cool idea. First, I, I mean, I've, I've heard of that concept since then, but I think this is the first person uh, that, that actually put it into print here. Um, the thing I, I, I didn't like about that is that it it's, it's one of two things. It's either straight is the player or the GM better at playing the character <laughs> or it's literally a coin toss. Like he put in so many rules to make mm -hmm. sure that the players couldn't stack it in their favor which i feel like the whole point of old DD is to figure out a way to stack it in your favor and once it's not stacked <clears throat> excuse me once it's not stacked in your favor you're he's literally putting the same character against itself and that's a coin toss like so, so i i love the the start but i would definitely absolutely change the mechanics of it in some way to make it so that there's something that the players can do that's interesting that gives them the upper edge because otherwise it's it's really a i mean it's worse than a save or die because it's going to take two hours and it's still going <laughs> to suck i mean that's common i think in a lot of ways that some people write their adventures oh I'm going to think ahead of what the players are going to do. And I don't want them to make it easy to get through this. So then I'm going to say, Oh, this doesn't can't be affected by knock spells. Or even if you use a knock spell, it only removes the magic. It doesn't really open this massive stone door that's still sealed shut. So we're going to make all these rules that you can't use that for in order to simply get through the situation. I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's something that we're trying to get away from in the modern right. day. For sure. When you think good. Oh, that's right. When when you say uh, coin toss, Edwin, it's it's eminently evident too because there's an illustration of that of that encounter in the book, and you could just uh, my the first thing that comes to mind when I see that illustration is oh I guess the PCs won initiative because they're <laughs> <laughs> it's it's battles over right so uh, yeah I, I know what you mean. It, it, it's a cool it's a cool encounter it's the first time you see, you really see something like that in a in a, in a D, D product i think unless really unless judges guild did something early you know some one of the weird products earlier than that I, I don't recall it um necessarily but again it is one of the i i think one of the, the cool ideas there's a lot of cool ideas that were you know maybe today we we've seen them once or twice before but this was the first time a lot of the stuff had ever happened i i had never seen children of like you say humanoids in a in a published D, D product before this and and probably not very many after it um <laughs> so it's uh it, it is very unique in that way you know but in, in a lot of other ways this is not a, this is not a uh the the concept of the module isn't reinventing the wheel it's a it's a dungeon crawl with a town nearby that the pcs can kind of just go back and forth and raid and and, Which is super you, solid, like you know, yeah. good vanilla, yeah, right? It's good. Yeah. Vanilla. It is. It is. But it, it it also works. It also works really well. Um, there's, you know, and we're talking mostly about the Bone Hill portion of it, the tower with the, the ruined castle and, and and the key part. But there's a couple other cool uh, wilderness areas that he kind of spells out. Um, yeah. Which which you know you can have some definitely have some fun with. Um, I know. I think back when I when I ran this because I did run it way back in the early '80s. I know because my mind probably hasn't changed in the, in the 40 years since then <laughs> I probably took the, the females and the kids right out of the module. I just, yeah, I probably yanked them right out 
um, just because it's not something I'm comfortable, have ever been comfortable actually dealing with and not something my players at the time would have enjoyed, um, you know, playing the, playing the moral quandary, do we kill the kids and the, and the females or do we not? And that kind of thing. And I'm like, you know, we're going to get, I'd I'm, I'm more of the pulpy, uh, adventure kind of guy anyway. And I think my, my gaming group mostly was too back then. So, um, but it's, it is interesting to see that they weren't afraid to do that, you know, back in 1981, like I said, this is a great module for a, a snapshot of what was going on back then. Well, and I know he said that this is based off of his home campaign. So you can kind of see that in the DNA when you look at it with some of these, you know, uh, some of these things that seem a little like, you know, off the cuff, you know, uh, non-tangent to the other elements in the, in the layout of the module that, you know, he's just, Oh, well, you guys are going that way. Well, um, uh, there's some thieves hanging out there, uh, some work thieves. Yeah. And none of them are actually, well, only one of them is actually a thief. I love that. Yeah. He describes a whole encounter, talk about all these thieves who are going to attack the PCs. And then, you, and, you, and then he gets to the stat block things. It's like, wait, where are the thieves at? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the uh, there's a point that you find a ring of elemental control that still is like in the process of being made. And you have Very to like cool. slay, so cool. uh, slay an elemental cool. creature. Yeah, I thought that that's yeah. brilliant. That's cool. That's, you know. The mixed yeah. up potions. Oh yeah, and what happened? The mixed up potion room is very yeah. Again, yeah. It's just it's just some really really innovative cool stuff uh, going on in this adventure as far as individual encounters go. I love it. Yeah, yeah, and no, I'm definitely definitely pulling stuff from this and like I, yeah, because it's just it's just so many cool pieces in here. Yeah, to, to to run it as is is I don't know not. It wouldn't be my choice. (laughs) So so let's talk about some of the problems and the fixes we put on them. Um, Kind of wrapping up this segment with, with how we would run it today. If we run it, some things we would do different. What do you got? Oh, (laughs) you've been pretty quiet about this stuff. Uh, To me, like, you know, and I don't, with with as long as we're running tonight, I'm not going to go through my big, fix of as much as I could, but um, I, you just, you've got to put together some sort of backstory for this warlord. That's now a wraith in this, this ruined fortress or whatever of his and, and why that wizards down in the basement, the good wizard. Um, so connecting all that up, I think super important because right now it just does not make sense because the, the castle has like some art in it, depicting people fighting bugbears. Yeah, he's an evil warlord that was supposed to be in here. So maybe he took it over from somebody else. Um, why is it cold? It's like super cold down in the dungeon. Why is that? So I had this whole big thing about like, you know, maybe he had made this deal with this demon that had been like somehow chained up in the dungeon and uh, frozen in a block of ice or something that he could still talk to him mentally and had this whole thing where the wizard knew the the, the name of the demon and could, you know, help command him and you know i don't know i don't want to get into it because it's too much but that's what you got to do folks in my opinion is, is you got to kind of figure out how can you stitch these pieces together into a sensible backstory that the, the characters can kind of pull the threads on and learn uh otherwise it just seems too random to me and, and if anybody wants more detail on that uh lou has like nine pages of notes because we've seen <laughs> them and i'm sure he will email them to you about how what he's thinking yeah. about doing my- with that I've got a one paragraph revision. Uh, I don't know about 
about uh, 22 sentences. I don't know. So I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm right along with Lou's thoughts here. I, I think the secret of Bone Hill really needs to be, I, it, you know, if I were to kind of retro, retro game or retro design this module, I mean, to, as, as a module designer, my, like I said, my eyes are bleeding just trying to read this thing. It, it really needs to be restructured physically. Yeah, the layout. Book, so oh it makes sense. Because it doesn't flow, it doesn't make any sense. It, you just he's just throwing stuff at you in the very beginning, well, and then when all you spend sudden, that much money on the words, you can't afford an editor. No, and then and then he yeah, and then he just throws this town at you and says, "Well, you're really it's really cool, you know. Here's the town, but they're really not going to use this till you till you buy the next adventure." Um, yeah, it, it does. I like that. How like the most interesting things that are going on in the town, like after each one, it says, but don't do anything with that. That'll happen in L2. CL2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think I think I would do the same thing. I would really expand the the ruined castle. And he's got a very neat dynamic here of, of if you if you come in the daytime, there's these opponents kind of floating around the castle. But if you come at night, there's undead. So I think I would I would geographically break that up a little bit and almost have a a battle going on between these two forces they're now they both would like to go after the pcs in a heartbeat but i think i would kind of create a um more of more tension in the castle ruins by having you know this this one force is trying to take the whole thing over to plunder it uh but then you have all these undead who are occupying like, the lower levels of it and and kind of intersperse it back back and forth that way. There's there's a really cool encounter that I think one of the things I think they say they're looking for these bugbears are looking for this horn uh, that's laying just laying in a room, believe it or not, that anyone could just walk by and pick up. But if you blow this horn, it, I think two D four fighters appear, second level fighters appear, and you think, oh, that's awesome, right? Well, no, they they're they they're chaotic evil, and they'll attack <laughs> anyone who isn't chaotic evil. <laughs> so it, it, it's another like i said neat little piece but um i think that's what i would do with it mainly it, as far as the whole wrestling for peace i would just leave that as it is it's, it's solid uh i think like jason said earlier there's a there's a little adventuring opportunity in there uh, you kill some giant rats you can get like a little base of operations kind of thing um but beyond that there's you know there's there's not much i think you could do with it in this particular adventure other than have a base of operations and it's well thought out and well detailed, but the keep the Brune tower keep, I think it needs motivation and it needs a story that that's described because like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on here that he does describe, but he kind of stops short of telling you why any of this stuff really exists. Um, I think that needs to happen. And then you could even tie it in with some of the other wilderness locations around there. I mean, it's the secret of Bone Hill, but we really don't know what the secret is. The secret is he never told us. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's, uh, I think that's how I would this whole dungeon in. I mean, either that or I would just pull pieces out and put them, put them in my own adventures and, and not run this at all as a, as a module itself. But I love old 1E modules, so I think I would try and <laughs> go that route. Salvage it, you know. So I did run this, you know, uh, a, a few years ago, and my process was similar to the way I run uh, most hex crawls is you show up in the town and you start interacting with people and then see what they do and what happens and give life to the NPCs that are here and then let uh, situations, yeah, situations for shenanigans to occur. And they always do. Uh, sometimes it can be a little boring because no one wants to sit there and role play out meeting everybody. 
But if you use reaction roles and you try and just treat them, the NPCs, like they're actual characters, it's like some authors when they write books, right? They just write out the characters and then they let them interact with each other and then whatever happens, happens. And that's kind of the way I ran this. Uh, Peltar was missing. His apprentices weren't sure where he was. So that's a reason for you to go looking for Peltar. Oh, he didn't know what was happening. So this, there's this, uh, there's this, um, the one knight in here doesn't really happy with the Baron. So he goes and gets drunk at the tavern, starts a bar fight with the player characters. Why is this guy unhappy? What happens? You know, let's look into that. Believe it or not, if you have players who um, are motivated, right. And driven with their own characters, it'll kind of the adventure will create itself. Like, I don't even know <laughs> if you, if you had three second level characters and they went to fight a hundred zombies, it's like instant TPK, right? Most of this stuff is like, holy cow, how would you ever survive an ANCAG attack on a random encounter table? You don't, you run away, but the same. So what do we do? We come back during the day. Oh, now you have a tribe of bugbears here. <laughs> the bone hill you know, needs some help. Jason, you just remind me some, there's a, there is a couple, some very cool new monsters in here, by the way, mm -hmm. but they've got this one, uh, it's, uh, they got two different kind of skeletons, right? It was like a three hit dice one that was a magic user in real life and he could throw some magic user spells and it's, it's, it's a real cool one, but then there's like a two hit dice one. Well, that, those freaking things have got a sleep spell. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. This is a second look. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that thing gets his sleep spell off. It's TPK right there. Done. What about the ghoul sturges? The ghoul sturge is mm -hmm. awesome. awesome. <laughs> Let's paralyze you so they just keep sucking out yes. the blood. Yes. Yeah. Edwin? Yeah, I think I think I would uh I liked the the town and the and the um the town's castle, not not the ruined one, but like that was that was great. I think I would I would definitely consider using that and all the stuff that's set up in those two places basically as is, because I, it sounds like you did that and had a lot of fun with the, yep. with the base camp. And then uh, I think the overall wilderness map uh, and a lot of the things going on could be fun to use. And then, yeah, I think just like you're saying, Lou or Bill's rework the, the ruins uh i like you know i like the the two factions idea i'm always a fun fan of that i think there's so many cool as you say so many cool set pieces but i i think i would be tempted to basically just strip that dungeon and replace it with a different dungeon and then use those set pieces in other places where they make more sense like I, there's there's mm -hmm. a lot of cool stuff here that doesn't fit and then but but having a ruined castle to go play around in. So I think, I think I'd probably swap out the castle. The, the TSR had to get something for their 3,500 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> um, I like right. factions in an adventure. That's, I mean, and yeah, and, uh, it's, it's a little bit of Jack weight on it. I would maybe would add some more entrances into the under areas, but and I, the yeah. spectator, I, I've never really understood personally. <laughs> that was <laughs> Yeah, in, in this particular situation, like who put him there to guard that book and why is that book so important to, I mean, I know it's valuable as far as, you know, magic users go, but like, I don't know. That's the secret of Bone Hill, man. Yeah. Exactly. You can and if anybody thinks you I, want, except And if anybody book. thinks I'm crazy about my lightning bolt thing and electricity with, with Len, he has a, so the, the spectator is fully described in the back of the module and there's an example 
of combating a spectator, which is totally based around the PC throwing a lightning bolt at him. <laughs> it's just, it's like a reoccurring effect. It's always in this module. It's pretty cool. There's a staff of a blue dragon, right? Uh -huh. Spark or lightning bolt. And uh, it's, which is, I've never seen lightning bolt used as much of my life in this module than anywhere else. It's pretty cool. What was the thing about, I guess it's because identify can fail, right? That's what it was. It said, if you like it, there's, it's for that staff. It said, you know, you can try to figure it out by screwing around. If you do identify, then whatever you find out with identify is as much as you ever know. And you never find out anything else. <laughs> this is that, dude, that's so old school one E right there. Right. It does. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and he goes into this whole thing, right? You find this, you find the staff and on the, the head, you know, the head of a dragon on the staff, but it was once painted in blue, but all the paint all fades. All the paint's gone. You can't tell what it is. And yeah. unless the PCs have ever, yeah, unless the PCs right, have you can recognize the dragon, shape of the ears or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unless they've actually fought a blue dragon, they'll have no idea that it's actually a blue dragon. It's just, he goes out, he takes, you know, half, half a paragraph describing how the PCs can't figure out that it's actually a blue dragon. It's, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any any final thoughts before we close the segment out? Yeah, we I, I we rushed through it, but it's a. Uh, I had something else I was thinking of now, and I can't remember. The art is uh, is interesting in it. The, this module really, I think, was we talk about the piecemeal nature of the way the first half of it's kind of designed in the set pieces and all that. But the art throughout this module is the same kind of way. Um, Steve Sullivan did about three or four pieces in there where he has. He did something I, I absolutely love, and, and, and Pacer does it in all our products. We take the same group of PCs and we kind of travel through the dungeon. That's our illustrations. So they, they're kind of telling the story through illustration. And, and I think Steve Sullivan is the one who did the three or four pieces with the – it's a fighter with a spear and a female magic user uh, kind of in the different encounters. And, that, and that's actually very cool. But then you have these, these totally weird pieces that – uh, Diesel did one illustration mm -hmm. in there. I think the Knowles. Uh, I got some some guy I'd never heard of. Quinn. Quinn. Quinn yeah, I looked at that. I was like, hmm. I'm pretty sure he did that snake thing in the beginning. I can't not read. I, I can't tell who. But it, it certainly wasn't Sullivan. It wasn't Diesel. Um, it wasn't Willingham. Um, and it's not Errol because Errol did a few pieces in here too. And this, I mean, interesting enough for TSR historians, this this has to be one of Errol's first projects. Um, first or second, this is really early TSR Errol Otis stuff. And he's, he's got a couple of great pieces in here. Does the chick on the horse show up anywhere other than the random encounter table? No, she's <laughs> not even, no, she's, that's it. Right. That's she's the, in the, uh, she's the rumor. rumor table. Oh, yeah. Rumor table. That's what I mean. She's only <laughs> on the it. rumor table. Isn't that interesting too? It's like there, the, I'm telling you the art director, I don't know what he was smoking when he, decided to do whatever he wanted to do with his module. <laughs> like I said, the, the, the Hydra on the back cover, that's not even in the rumor table for God's sakes. <laughs> it's nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Absolutely so you, nowhere. you should all know that you can get the other unpublished Lendor Isle adventures on dragon's foot. Yes. L3, L4, L5, as he thought they should be. Yeah. Those files, I think they're a little, I think someone recently was telling me they're a little hard to come by, but there's, you can still Google them. And find them. I know they were on Dragon's Foot at one time, but I don't know where they put if they buried yeah, them on their site somewhere. And, and, and I, I should have said this: Lynn passed away. I think 2020. Yeah, yeah. fairly Maybe. recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so. yeah, he was going through Dragon's Foot, right? He was. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, they were good. They were going to try and edit these, pro, you know, edit the things and, and all that. And I think it kind of fell apart a little bit, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see it. I've read them. They're similar to this. Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah, definitely good module. I, you know, uh, there, there, there's so many nice little gems in here. It's, it's worth, in my opinion, trudging through some of the, the harder to uh, digest in, in less useful pieces of it. <laughs> Someone had to do it first, right? So, and they For did. a lot of things. And this guy did a lot of things first and it's not perfect. The presentation isn't great, but often that times that's how it is. And then that's when, I mean, artists theft, right. And a lot of things have been stolen from this adventure and done better later, but it still had to be done first. And this was a module that a lot of firsts happened in, I think. Yeah, uh, 100%. I, I'm going to, I'm going to stand by it and say it just one more time. Like I said, if, if you want a snapshot of, of advanced Dungeons and Dragons in the early years, this is, this is a beautiful uh, rendition of, of what was going on. And I think how people were playing. I mean, this is how gameplay just was. It was like it's conventions. Moldvay yeah. came out, right? Yeah. Yeah. The only thing 81. was out of uh, 79, I think was when uh, the monster manual came out. This is like maybe before the DMG, right? Uh, the DMG came out in 79. So it, it's a little after. It's, it's still like two years in, I think. Um, but it's, it, I mean, if you think about it, this, that's the module was printed in 81. Mm-hmm. So it, it was in production probably in 79 and 80. Well, and given that it was, you know, based on what they were playing, I mean, it, it yeah. probably, you know, goes back several years before that for the origin yeah. of it all. So, you know. Yeah, Excellent. it's it's a great piece, and I, I know we we I always like to bring it up. You can get this on Drive Through, Ed. When you you purchased the PDF, right, on yep. Drive Through, yep. I I I have a a pod copy of it that I got from Drive Through at some point. Uh, that's what I used to do my review on. Um, sure. I have the original, but I, mine original signed by Willingham, and I'm never taking it out of the plastic bag. <laughs> so, um, uh, I don't get a lot of stuff signed, but I had the opportunity, and I couldn't pass it up. But uh, so I, I know you can get a drive through. This is one of these, I will, again, say this, this is a, if you're even interested about what we've been talking about, this is go buy it. It's you, you will not regret, regret having this uh, in your library or any just for the maps alone. Library. Great, great yep. set of maps. Yep. I think the cool thing they did too is uh, you know, the old TSM models, right? The inside covers, the maps were the blue ink, right? They, they, the, the pod copy, those same two maps in the back of the pod copy are blue ink. <laughs> That's pretty cool. All right. We got one segment left. We're going to try to squeeze in here uh, at the, uh, the third hour of the podcast here. Oh my um, God. <laughs> so uh, bring in some. We just had to tire you out before we could uh... yeah. have fun <laughs> doing flooring tomorrow there, Jason. I just, right. I'm just a salesman. So. Oh, oh, man. I'm just talking more crap like I am here. So <laughs> just practice. All right, so we got some geek credit, but before we get into it, uh, I need somebody to give me a randomly generated number uh, between one and three. Who's got to die, Lane? I don't don't have my chits this month. It's a one. (laughs) It's a one. All right, so, uh, oh, hey, Larry, this is your second time uh, being selected for that home uh, winner here. So, Larry Mm -hmm. Hot, uh, you you may uh, be winning a prize, and um, I'm trying to think of what I've got that – I tell you what, I've got a uh, a print copy of my latest book, the uh, the Time Lost Citadel. It's a it's a, it's going to be the the uh, perfect bound version, so it's all in one book. A little more handy than the multi book version, 
Uh, but I'll throw in the poster map so you don't miss out on that. So we're going to send that out your way if if Jason can make his geek credit here tonight. Oh, my God. Oh boy. All right. Pressure. Sorry, Larry. <laughs> Larry is a frequent listener to Random Screed as well. I should say he's a caller. So good guy. Do you have any geek credit? Oh god. All right, so uh Jason, you said Conan was one of your one of your topics for, for geek credit, right? Sure. Oh boy. <laughs> sound real confident. I'm not um, confident at all. All right, so Marvel Marvel Comics did a bunch of Conan stuff, right? So they did uh, a Conan comic book and they did uh two magazines. One of them was called Savage Sword of Conan. What was the other one called? I was going to guess Savage Sword of Conan. <laughs> um, Do you get a multiple choice form? Uh, sure. Uh, let me think about it real, real quick so I can come up with some good multiple choice names so I don't give it away. All right, Jason. Um, well, you're doing that. So, listeners, the, the topics that uh, Jason had given to us, we've got uh, paintballing. We've got Conan. We've got West Marches and Hex Crawls. So those are the the field that we were given to play within the night. So uh, look at. I'm only going to give you two. Okay. This is again. This All is right. a mag- the magazine format. Yes. Uh, King Conan or Conan Saga. Uh, I was going to say King Conan. Is that right? No. Oh my, oh my god! god. Trip somebody up, Jason. Oh I've god. never tripped somebody up. It was Conan Saga. <laughs> this is bad. I don't even. And know uh, Barry, Barry Windsor Saga. Smith illustrated a ton of them, and they're absolutely. Gorgeous. Holy cow, I've never even seen these. Yeah. I'm looking at right now. All right. I'm gonna Lou. go next. And I thought I was gonna get you on this next one, but if if I heard you right earlier in the podcast, I think you're gonna get this. Um, I'm gonna ask you who is considered to have coined the phrase West Marches for an open style drop-in and out hex crawl. Was it Wesley McGuire, Ben Robbins, E. Gary Gygax? Or Matt Mercer, Ben Robbins. For yeah. Sure. All right, he got it. There he is. One, one I point. Should, I should have just stayed. I have to get two. Or I, how many points do I have to two get? More, two more. Two more. Clear. Two more. All right. I, I'm going to throw another one at you. Hopefully, you. Hopefully, you read this. Uh, <laughs> Conan, the Conan story, Beyond the Black River. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, that's a, a, a Baylet story, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Conan actually befriends a him and his his buddy befriend a dog. And uh, shit, dude. <laughs> what was the dog's name? <laughs> what was the dog's name? Was it Slasher, Gasher, the dog or have? Masher? God, I'm Slasher, say... Gasher, or Masher. People know this. this is pretty hard for me. <laughs> if, it, if it isn't, it should be. I'm definitely going to put take out Masher. So I'm going to say Slasher or Gasher. Uh, slasher. I'm gonna say Gasher. No, it is Slasher. Uh, oh my god, so close! All right, all right. I'll, I'll have right. you know, Jason, I feel really bad thing. right now because no one's ever got my questions wrong. So, oh my god, so I, I'm I the easy the guy. Thing. He's the taking all thing. the pressure off me, man. I'm always tripping people. <laughs> no, it's all on you, Luke. Because if he doesn't win, it's gonna be your fault. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> all right, all right. If I, I don't win, he... I'll send Larry something. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so paintballing. Learned a lot about it. 
Uh, so let me ask you this. Why were paintball guns first invented? The, the, the very first paintball guns, why were they invented? Mark Cattle. You got it. I didn't even have to read the multi-choice. Nice. There it is. All right. So he's on two. He's got to get a third one. Now, Edwin, you don't have any, right? Oh, I just correct. wanted to point out to our listeners, Edwin was weak this uh, this last time here. He's he's stooped out on his duties there. Kind of so, weird. Uh, true. Groups, yeah. maybe. Kind of weird. Because he's gaming too much. I played all these games. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Good on you, Edwin. All right. So I'm going to give you a choice for this last one. Um, I can give you another paintball question, or I can give you a question about hex crawling and classic D&D adventures. I mean, this is a D&D show. I should probably say the one, but I probably know more about paintball that you would easily be able to look up online. So hmm. Edwin, give us a random roll between <laughs> <laughs> right. even side of die and even will be paintballing. Odds. All right, so uh, we go hex crawling in old right. school dungeons. Which of these classic D and D adventures is known for being a massive hex crawl? Isle of Dread. Uh, I, I was going to put that on there, but I thought it'd be too easy. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Dang it! That's just a little too over the plate for you. So here are your choices: The Lost City, Ravenloft, Master of the Desert Nomads, or The Land Beyond the Magic Mirror interesting Shit. so i remember the master of the desert gnome i would say that's is that the is that the basic one uh, yeah it I, is a basic uh, module it was okay. one of uh, a couple yeah it's in, in that series yeah yeah x4 so that sounds like it should be hex crawly i had i had all of those adventures this is a good one. Hmm. lost you city guys, ravenloft master of the desert nomads or land beyond the magic mirror X four is my favorite module, literally of almost all time. It's my really? top rating. Yeah, I'm gonna I say that. It. Master of the Desert Nomad. You got it, buddy. Yes. You pulled the iron from the fire here. <laughs> yeah, that's got what three, I was saying. Three points. You've got your uh, geek credit for the evening. All right, so everyone take Conan off my list. I was gonna have uh, <laughs> Nola Burt on Twitter as my phone a friend, but I forgot to ask him ahead of time. <laughs> Plus, it's too late. <laughs> Oh, well, folks, if you've uh, hung with us this long, I sure appreciate it. I hope you hope you had some fun and, and learned some things. And, uh, you know, uh, we always enjoy putting these shows on and having the awesome guests that we have. Uh, so, you know, Jason, thanks uh, for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, one more time, uh, why don't you tell us about the the because uh, I just forgot the name of the thing that you put ashes in uh, the sin- Cinerarium. Cinerarium, the Sin Eater. Yeah, That's the man. next project coming out, right? That's right. We look for that on to play test it. So I I think it was fun. He got a lot of good feedback. So thanks. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, we'll be looking for that on Kickstarter when it, when it's finished or or where do you normally go uh, to publish your modules? Um, I have never kickstarted, but we might kickstart this. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. Keep your ears Uh, to the ground. Lou, I'm going to jump in real quick. So uh, since we're talking Kickstarter real, real quick, um, if this, depending when you guys hear this podcast, I know uh, Edwin's been part of this thing. The uh, Frog Guy Games Whisper and Venom Kickstarter's got about four or five days left from the time we're recording, not from the time this probably gets live. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't jumped on that one, that's a, that Whisper and Venom's fantastic. I mean, I bought the and we have been working our butts off. Uh, we've been working great. our butts off on the old school uh, yeah, the version, version right? of it. Yeah, yeah so, it's, it's going to be a sweet, sweet super version, cool. I think. And then. Um, and then uh, I'll pimp my own. Paysetter's got one coming out. Our newest Kickstarter is going to go live 
August 23rd, you can go on Kickstarter right now, Toma Quest, sign up to get notified. There's a 24, uh, we've never done this before, but the first 24 hours, uh, it's, it's going to be cheaper for you if you want to jump in. Hmm. Um, but uh, Toma Quest is basically, it's our a legacy book. It's got our first five adventures that we put out in 2008. Uh, they're expanded, updated, new maps by Keelan Halverson, um, new artwork, all that. It's, it's going to be actually an amazing book. So, uh, and that has the that thing in the valley that you were talking about with got, the boss fight, right? Yes, yeah. yes, it is a great boss fight. Uh, so you got thing in the valley, screaming temple, uh, fell horde, um, vampire's curse, and the lost caravan. It gonna it's it's gonna come in probably around roughly a two hundred page hardcover. Nice, but Sweet. anyway, that's my I'm, I'm done pimping for now. But yeah, you can go on Kickstarter right now and sign up to get notified. So you don't have to wait till August. Check out Humble Bundle. <laughs> and that one's uh that's going to be for bx and uh 5e all right lots of good stuff coming your way gamers get your pocketbooks ready this has been an extremely long episode of this whole dungeon i've had a hell of a lot of fun this is luau lu saying goodbye and good night from edwin have a better, good one guys better to burn out than to fade away <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to This Old Dungeon, copyright 2022. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are, well, hey, we're just a bunch of bullshitters, so you do the math. If you have any requests or any correspondence you'd like to send, send it to thisolddungeon at gmail.com. Have a wonderful day.